0: baseball isn't just numbers 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 this game is not being played on computers you don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks you don't put a team together with a computer
1: Pew. we're talking weighted runs created plus expected wOBA, sweet spot rate defensive runs above average average exit velocity barrel rate xfip BABIP, s-i-e-r-a we are above replacement radio, radio. And welcome to Bubba Placement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever I'm your host, Chris Giant. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. How you doing, Daniel? Chris,
0: I'm doing really well today. Uh, for the first time in what feels like kind of a while, we have major, major offseason news in baseball. We had Josh Hader last week or two weeks ago, and that was pretty cool. But this week, we had, I think, one of the most shocking trades uh, in terms of, much we saw it coming how much we saw fit with the team with player being in rumors or lack thereof uh that i can remember in a very very long time uh corbin burns is a baltimore Oriole.
1: yes yes indeed and and with the news like it wasn't just a, a bomb drop it was a complete sneak attack it was it was we were completely unprepared for this but uh um you know sort of sort of happy to hear the news but also sort of you know unfortunate as a as a as a fan of someone in the AL East however yeah this was um you know incredibly incredibly stimulating for uh some, for a baseball fan who's not been stimulated uh in terms of big moves and and big uh, acquisitions here yeah pretty incredible uh Corbin Burns goes to the Orioles for uh Joey Ortiz and DL Hall um couple prospects uh Corbin Burns has one year of control remaining with the Orioles so if the Orioles want to keep him longer they'll have to extend him um or sign him in free agency next year but uh but yeah what what did you think about this move here
0: yeah I mean like I said it was definitely in terms of shock value one of the craziest trades that I can remember in recent memory you know there was no the last time we had heard any kind of rumors about Corbin Burns being on the trade market was really never there was some like maybe like theories about the Brewers trading him because he had one year left they let Brandon Woodruff go. There was the uh there was the discrepancies between for the front office and him in the team's arbitration hearing for him in 2023. Um, but I don't think there was ever serious rumors. I don't remember any teams being attached to him. Uh the Orioles certainly weren't attached to him, if any teams were, um, or at least publicly. And I mean, Ken Rosenthal was the one who broke the trade. And he did it with a full article on The Athletic. You know, it wasn't just a tweet that said Orioles getting Corbin Burns packaged, you know, come in a little bit. He had a full article on The Athletic saying the trade's done, Corbin Burns is going to the Brewers, they're getting D.L. Hall, they're getting Joey Ortiz, um, and everyone else kind of, kind of followed suit after. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely one of the most shocking, uh, didn't see it coming, and it happened right there in that moment type trades that we've seen in a while
1: yeah for sure for sure and especially like you know it wasn't just shocking because uh you know a a high profile starter you know a a a pitcher in which a lot of people have him in their top 10 uh positionally like it's not only that he was left but or or was traded but also that the orioles are the guy or the team that are getting that getting that guy after you know Pretty much, they've been rebuilding, or you know, not in win now mode since 2017
0: ish. I mean, yeah, you, you can't forget twenty seventeen when they went all out with the Jeremy Hellickson trade, and that was the only thing they did at the trade deadline. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been waiting on the Orioles to make a move like half as big as this, uh, for some time now, right? Like they they started to uh they started to break out in you know. In June of twenty twenty two, July of twenty twenty two, they sold Trey Mancini at the deadline. They sold sold Jorge Lopez at the trade deadline, and Michael Elias was like, "Hey, not yet, right? Like we're gonna, you know, it's coming. Now is not the right time. We got to keep building." And they ended up finishing that season over five hundred. They made they I think their big acquisition of that off seasons were like Cole Irvin, Kyle Gibson. You know, a couple of innings eater type starters but no one of real impact um they won 101 games and got swept in the playoffs and had been quiet other than signing craig kimbrell uh as a replacement for felix batista uh this off you know in terms of this off season and people kind of had the idea of okay are they gonna are they gonna keep building on what they have or are they just gonna hope that this core does it before they all leave in free agency and i don't think anyone was expecting this move but i mean they went up far above and beyond what anyone was was asking them to do
1: yeah 100 percent, and uh and yeah this does seem to have some correlation with some other news that happened which is the um is peter angelos the angelos family in general is uh selling the or is selling the orioles for about 1.7 billion dollars um there's a certain group, you know how these ownership groups work. It's Carlisle group. Yeah, it's it's it can be weird with who's involved, but it's a new it's a new group that's in charge uh or that's going to be in charge in Baltimore. And it I think there is just a little bit more of a vote of confidence within the front office that you can go out and make these moves because uh you can you don't have to worry about stocking up uh prospect capital um in case other players go because maybe those other players aren't going and you can keep them and extend them and, and lock them up long-term uh, financially.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very fun to see when a new owner comes in and shows everyone how cool it is when an owner that is less than ideal sells the team, right? The Angelos family uh, had a statement this summer talking about how, like, if they gave a, you know, if they released their financial records, they would, like, people would see how bad uh, a 150 to 200 million dollar contract Would be for them how it would cripple Them financially and they would never be able to do anything Else of course they did this without Releasing their financial records um, Which probably would have shown otherwise Because uh, Major League Baseball is one of the most profitable Organizations uh, out There and Yeah I mean uh, this new group Carlisle Group uh, which is led by uh, David Rubenstein who Is an Orioles fan Uh, I grew up an Orioles fan in Baltimore, you know, I mean, it's the second time we've seen something like that, Steve Cohen with the Mets, Um, and yeah, I mean, immediately, right, like, the day after the sale happens, uh, maybe the biggest move that the franchise has made, I don't even know how long, definitely in my lifetime, it feels like, right, I mean, when was the last time we've seen the Orioles slash St. Louis Browns go out and make a move this big, like, getting Frank Robinson, maybe?
1: Yeah, it would it would have to yeah, it would have to be that um back in 1966 uh, like
0: you know, I guess trading for Adam Jones but like that wasn't that big of a deal at the time, you know.
1: That was also that was also a, a kind of a sell move because they were trading Eric Bedard mm-hmm. who's coming off of course That's his true. 200 strikeout season. Um but but yeah, that was that was like a a rebuilding mode. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. like this is by, yeah, by far the biggest slash, splash that We've seen the Orioles make probably in our lifetimes, in our you know twenty-three year old lifetimes. So I mean, yeah, it's 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 a major like breath of fresh air, especially in this off season where it seems like the only splashes being made are in LA and New York, uh, maybe San Francisco if you count like Jung Hoo Lee and and other guys like that. But in a in an off in which a lot of teams are sort of still on the brake pedal, most notably our favorite team, the Boston Red Sox, who have just gone from saying they're going full throttle to saying that their payroll is going to be lower than it was last year after back-to-back back, back, to back late, last play seasons. Like, it is very refreshing to see a team not in New York or LA go out and make a big move and really add to their 2024 team. So that that's, as a baseball fan, where I feel just the most happy is it's not going to be, it's it's like owner owners or organizations in general can stop pretending about the big market thing.
0: Yeah, you know, if the Orioles go out and they extend Corbin Burns, uh, I think it's going to demolish whatever narrative that small other small market owners try to make up about uh, what they view as being wrong with today's game of baseball. Because, yeah, sure, maybe the Dodgers have an advantage because they have more money. It doesn't mean that another organization can do nothing. Because we've seen a lot of organizations do nothing. Uh, you know, most notably teams like the Rockies, the Pirates, the A's. The Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, they're countless. And the Orioles were one of them for a while. Um, I mean, the biggest, you know, still the biggest free agent signing in their history was Chris Davis. Um, And, you know, it yes, it turned out to be one of the worst contracts ever signed. But still, like, I think as a franchise, you're like outside of the Dodgers for right now because they just signed a $700 million free agent. But I think the largest contract you've ever given out as a franchise should change, like, twice or so a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, the White Sox are a small market team, but you know what? They set a record with Yasmani Grandal before 2020. They set a record with Andrew Benatendi before 2023. Like, they are, you know, slowly raising their own stakes. The highest paid uh, contract that an outside organization free agent has ever gotten for the Pittsburgh Pirates was Russell Martin on a two-year deal. Right, you right. know. Right. Like and that was over a decade ago now. Like and the Orioles are a team that, uh, I think are gonna start taking themselves a lot more seriously with this new ownership group. I mean, I I, I absolutely don't think, uh, the Angelos family makes this trade. I think there's no way they make this trade. I don't think they're gonna look at, uh, you know, because realistically they're not even thinking about twenty twenty five and beyond. Corbin Burns, they're thing they look at Corbin Burns as a guy that is no longer eligible to be in the organization after 2024 once he hits free agency. And if that's the case, why would you trade two prospects uh you know both of which could be starters in many uh, organizations, maybe not this one because they are so loaded. Um but they made the trade because the new I think because of the new ownership group and yeah, if they extend him, that's going to wreck any narrative that any small market owner uh tries to have.
1: Yeah, that that is the thing that has to follow suit, and in, in order for this narrative to be correct, is uh is if they extend Burns, and I feel like that's likely. You know, I'm not saying that it's definitely going to happen, but I feel like it's pretty likely because more often than not, if you're trading for a guy in the off season with only one year control left, you're going to make a solid attempt to extend him. We saw that with Paul Goldschmidt, we saw that with Mookie Betts, although albeit with uh, you know some COVID circumstances, which made it you know which made Betts probably a little more privy to being extended but nonetheless with uh with this i think with with ownership um it's it's a deal that not only the um angelos family wouldn't make if they were still in charge but also like i'm sure that mike elias the gm over there is far more comfortable making this move because if if the narrative does take place in the Baltimore is is set to spend more in the future now Michael Elias doesn't have to worry about like oh what if I have to find a new catcher uh in five years because you know Adley Rutschman is going to go in free agency or same thing with Gunnar Henderson or same thing with like Jackson Holiday down the line so you don't have to keep stocking up uh prospect capital in case you have to let some guys go now if if you're able to keep some of these guys, you can, you can let some of these prospects go and you're absolutely fine doing it when you have the best farm system in baseball. And, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, I think like the front office has been waiting for the right time to make some type of move like this. uh, And it's definitely the right time. And I mean, they're coming off a 101 win season. Uh, They uh, seem to have more, possibly more financial flexibility now with the ownership change and they their biggest weakness probably was starting pitching, and they go out and get probably the best starting pitcher on at least the trade market, maybe even the trade and
0: uh, free agent market. Do you know uh, how much money the Orioles have committed to their twenty twenty five roster as of right now? Um, is
1: it like sub forty million?
0: It's one million dollars. It is $1 million. And you know why it's $1 million? Because I guess they already simulated Felix Batista's first year of arbitration. Uh, because it's already listed that he's going to receive $1 million in his ARB one year, which is not a common practice from what I've seen. So, really, they haven't really committed a dime because uh, Craig Kimbrell has a club option for 2025. Not a guarantee that they take that. Uh, Dan- Danny Coulomb and CNL Perez also have club options. For four and two million dollars respectively uh who knows if they're going to pick those up we won't know until the end of the season and then james mccann is a free agent and that's everyone they have on their team that is beyond uh their first free agency or their first like non-arbitration or pre-arb contract um they do have corbin burns and, and anthony santander and john means who are all going to be free agents next offseason but other than that they have not they basically haven't committed a dime other than Felix Batista's $1 million in arbitration uh, to the 2025 roster. So there's absolutely no reason not to go out and throw out some money for Corbin Burns because, uh, you know, even if you give Adley Rutschman an extension right now or you give Gunnar Henderson an extension right now, Grayson Rodriguez, Jackson Holiday, the big money isn't going to start to kick in for a few years because those are going to be deals where you sim arbitration. And it's, you know, it's going to be like one of those Braves deals where it's like, you know, they signed Michael Harris to that deal where he's making, you know, I mean, it's going to be more than that, but, you know, you could probably sign Adley Rutschman to an extension right now where he's made, where his average annual value is less than $20 million a year because of the arbitration sim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and, yeah, I was going to, I was just going to get into that point is, is like, yeah, like that's why these contracts are so, are so cheap. And, and, yeah, like, um, and, when you're considering 2025 and 2026 like the even when you consider arbitration and the dollars they're going to have to commit for arbitration and pre-arbitration it's still not going to be much because Adley Rudgman's not going to be like second or third year arb and uh Gunnar Henderson same thing with Gunnar Henderson same thing with uh Jackson Holiday and, and Grayson Rodriguez they're all going to be either pre- uh, pre-arbitration or um, very early in their arbitration stages which is where you just make substantially less money than you do like second year arbitration third year arbitration and then obviously after you hit free agency um so so yeah it's it, there's just a lot of financial flexibility for 2025 and 2026 20, and and you'd hope for you know if if this guy is a Baltimore fan you hope for that sort of Steve Cohen that Steve Cohen transition and it doesn't have to be million it could just be $140 million and that would be a major upgrade to what they've had the the past few years um so so yeah uh, yeah like there's uh there's a lot of there's so much potential already with how much prospect capital and how much talent they already have but if they can add more to it like they've just done um they're going to be unstoppable
0: yeah I mean if this owner if Dave Rubenstein follows Orioles baseball and understands uh the state that their franchise is in like he's got to be like licking his lips right now looking at how much talent he's acquiring and how much potential he has right now in this moment to do yeah because let's i mean look at that like lock up lock up corbin burns right now give him six seven years right what what age season is he going into right now he's going into age okay so he's going into age 29 season so get him to like age 36 or seven and that'll probably be, you know, your most expensive one right now. He's probably getting 25 to 30 mil a year, right? Get Adley for like 20 mil a year. Gunnar Henderson for the same thing. Jackson Holiday for even less. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez for probably even less. And it's like, that 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 still probably puts them as like a mid-tier payroll type team. And they just locked up five huge players for the next seven, eight years.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. The futures, the future of your franchise there. Um, yeah, and yeah, this is not. I'm not trying to make this a, a a long point here, but it is an aside and it's kind of funny. But and this isn't to discredit um, what the Orioles have done player development wise, because they have developed guys, you know, that they've drafted second round or later. But they really did beat the buzzer on the uh, lottery pick, and they mm-hmm. were <laughs> where you could you could be rewarded for being the worst team for you know. They did four years so they were able to get you know jackson holiday number one adley Rutschman number one um Col- didn't they get colton Cowser like top five yeah um
0: i was gonna even go further into that point you know not yeah yes it, they they did take advantage of having the guaranteed low draft picks with their poor performance but also like they did the right things i mean adley rutchman they drafted number one overall right and that was that was the no-brainer pick right any team that was number one that had the number one pick would have drafted adley rutchman that year so that's the one pick where you can kind of look at that and say like, okay, I could have made that pick. Not a big deal. But then they draft Gunnar Henderson in the second round, right? Anyone could have had Gunnar Henderson. He he ended up being a number one prospect in the sport. He ended up being rookie of the year. We both had him as a top three third baseman after his rookie year. And then uh, the next year was 2020. And who did they draft in 2020? Let me, let me look that up.
1: Yeah, I, I, for, I forget.
0: That's the one year I forget because I can tell you the rest of them. Um, all right, hang on a second. They draft okay, yeah, they draft Heston Kerstad number two. Austin Martin was like the uh was like the consensus number two pick because we all knew Torkelson was gonna go number one overall that year. Uh Austin Martin was supposed to be the number two. They draft Heston Kerstad instead, who was supposed to be like not even a top ten pick. Heston Kurstad is a number is a top one hundred prospect. Austin Martin is no longer in the organization he was drafted in and is kind of irrelevant as a prospect right now. So, like, that was a non-consensus pick that worked out for them in 2020. In 2021, they take Colton Cowser number five. Uh, they could have taken uh, Jordan Lawler, who was supposed to go right before him. They, they could have taken uh, Kumar Rocker, you know, very famously. He was supposed to go very early there um they end up with Colton Couser, who was not supposed to be again like supposed to be like a fringe top 10 pick that year if i remember correctly and he's worked out better than a lot of the guys they absolutely could have drafted there and then most importantly 2022 the consensus number 1 pick going into that draft was Drew Jones the right son of Andrew Jones uh you know everyone knew how good his dad was some say he's a hall of famer and he was his son was supposed to be the number 1 pick in that draft and they took Jackson Holiday instead Jackson Holiday is the number 1 prospect of the sport. If you look at uh, Drew Jones's stats in in the minors so far, the Orioles made a wildly correct pick and most teams would have taken Drew Jones there. So you got to give them credit cuz they've drafted extraordinarily well uh in that span where they had the low draft picks.
1: Yeah, 100% like, impossibly well even. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, it you know, that's that's talking about the uh, high draft picks to discredit their player development, because along with picking correctly, like they've obviously had a great uh, done a great part in developing these players. Because, um, you know, back when the White Sox were making their uh, their front office changes over this past summer, we talked about the flip side of this, which is you get the high draft picks, you um you lose for a while and you and you get rewarded with these high draft picks. And you either don't draft well or don't develop well or both, which seemed to be the case with the White Sox. And you just kind of collapse within yourself uh, very, very quickly. Whereas the Orioles, unless something crazy happens, are not going to do that. And and the Orioles, like with what the White Sox drafted with like their, what, five consecutive top 11 picks, um, none of them, none of those guys are, you know, either projected to do as well or did or have done as well as these Orioles draft picks that they've acquired or and and how successful they're projected to be or already have been like with uh Rodgman and Henderson so so yeah like you know obviously nothing to discredit there along with along the the thing with tanking is along with losing you also have to you also have to do the correct things after to project yourself for success, which is what the Astros have done, you know, sort of what the Cubs did, but definitely what the Orioles are doing right now. Um but uh but yeah, that's that's all an aside to the big acquisition with Corbin Burns. Um, something I found pretty cool with Corbin Burns, uh, and just the general Orioles rotation is uh you look at his numbers uh paired with Kyle Bradish's and Grayson Rodriguez's over the over the A whole second half. um, It's pretty remarkable. In the second half of the 2023 season, out of 55 qualifiers uh, in all of baseball, uh, Kyle Bradish ranked second in ERA, Grayson Rodriguez ranked fifth in ERA, Corbin Burns ranked ninth in ERA. And I'm sure uh, FIP-wise, they were all pretty good as well. Grayson Rodriguez was third in FIP, um, uh, Kyle Bradish was 10th, and Corbin Burns was 13th out of 55. So in the second half last year all three of those guys um whether it be on the orioles or the brewers were absolutely fantastic um you know there are some things to look at uh long term wise with corbin burns where you're like okay you know what way is he trending but he did have a very good second half last year um along with his resume before that
0: yeah um yeah, I mean that rotation looks a lot prettier with him at the top. You know, I mean Bradish and Grayrod are already very fun, and now you put them into a position where there's a true ace above them that will mentor them and also put a lot less pressure on them to be those guys. Um, and all of a sudden that looks like a top five rotation in baseball with, with uh John Means Dean Creamer uh rounding out the four and five. Um, I do want to talk about uh one other note that I forgot from the uh like the small market perspective. Uh, one of the other things that was involved in this trade was the 34th overall draft pick in 2024 uh, draft pick trading is allowed now, but it's only uh competitive balance picks and also rookie of the year picks. So uh, if you are a top 10 market or t- sorry, a bottom 10 market or a bottom 10 in revenue sharing market, uh, you get a free draft pick at the end of the first round every year uh, for competitive balance purposes. Um, the fact that the Orioles are, you know, in this position where it's possible that they might be extending Corbin Burns, uh, while being a top or bottom ten market and getting that draft pick, uh, is just kind of just another thing to show like the other small market owners, like, hey, you don't have to pretend to be poor because, uh, you are poor in relation to the Dodgers.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and you know the padres exemplified that uh have exemplified that since 2019 mm-hmm. um and you know they're not making any aggressive moves right now but that payroll is going to be very high for a while and and they seem to be okay with what they're doing there um and even if they cut payroll a little bit it's still they're still going to have a higher payroll than most other teams um and yeah the baltimore yeah like if if they can go out and do this and maybe make some more free agent signings yeah it definitely like Sort of flips that whole argument on its head and makes it look like okay maybe it's not a val maybe it's not that valid and maybe owners are just using it as an as an excuse.
0: Um, I think that one of the coolest things about it is that uh, Baseball America like redid or you know quote unquote redid uh their top thirty uh like organization farm systems after the trade. They're like yeah the Orioles are still number one by a long shot by the way. Like you could just trade. I mean I know DL Hall isn't a prospect anymore but you could just trade a fringe 100 top 100 prospect and still be miles above everyone else. Like that's yeah. how that's how good they are. A um, guy who
1: might be top might be the best prospect
0: in I was some I would say other where do, well I mean Jackson Chorio is going to be the number 1 prospect in the Brewers system obviously but where does he I'm very curious to know where uh where Joey Ortiz ranks right now in the Brewers system. Yeah, right, right so real quick, uh, this is all according to Baseball America. Um, D.L. Hall is still considered a prospect. They have him 93 in their rankings going into 2024. Um, This is actually kind of funny because uh, the Orioles are the number one uh, farm system in baseball, according to uh, Baseball America. The Brewers are number two. Uh, And uh, D.L. Hall is now the Brewers' uh, number five prospect. And Joey Ortiz is probably going to be around like seven or eight uh because number 6 is just behind uh, DL Hall in the top 100 Ortiz is not there and Ortiz was a couple spots behind DL Hall in the Orioles rankings before the trade so uh yeah it was very funny baseball reference or baseball america came out with their top or top 30 farm systems uh literally the day after uh the trade and said yeah the Orioles are still number 1 and it's not even close
1: yeah which which is pretty extraordinary and yeah it's definitely a testament to what...
0: Shout-out to, uh, shout to the defending World Series champions for also having the number three farm system because they have two top five guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty sick. Um, if
0: anyone's curious, rounding out the top ten, it's Orioles, Brewers, Rangers, Cubs, Tigers, Padres, Rays, Mets, Yankees, and Dodgers.
1: Right, right. Um. Yeah, so... Um. Yeah, like, shout-out... Yeah, sh- obviously, shout-out to what... Mike Elias uh and Sigmund Dahl have built over there since mm. um the start of the 2019 season i believe is is when they is when they came in and and uh cleaned some things up over there but um but yeah and and uh before we get into a couple more points about this trade like uh going back to the point of what this means for the Orioles rotation is like i remember when the Orioles were down 2-0 in that series against Texas and we went into, you know, we went into that game, came out, came in on the, on the podcast and we were like, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that they're going out and relying on Dean Kramer and like, no it's complete disrespect to Dean Creamer, but he's not necessarily a, a guy you want in an elimination game like that. Whereas now, you know, I don't know what the Orioles order will be if, the, if everyone's healthy at the end of the year, but, um, it's going to be one of Burns, uh, gray rod or, uh, Bradish. Kyle Bradish out in, the, in that game so it, it provides so much more comfort for the Orioles uh, not only in the regular season but obviously the postseason
0: yeah I mean it is very weird that we look at a team that won over 100 games and had the most wins in their league and looked at them down too well and thought yeah there's no chance they come back with this guy on the mound right yeah like that is yeah. you know it's a we it's weird that we were in that position a few months ago but now you know this trade is going to Uh, presumably, dramatically change that image. Should that situation come up again next year?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, and yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot more to get into here. Yeah,
0: I wanted to talk about this from the perspective of Corbin Burns, particularly. Um, he has already like spoken publicly, uh, about his reaction. He he had a quote on foul territory where I think where he was like. Yeah, I was actually doing a bullpen when I found out last night. Uh, let's say I added a couple miles an hour on the radar gun. Uh, so it seems like he's amped to be a part of uh, of this organization at this time. And how can you not be? But um, first of all, you know, there's the statistical angle of it where you look at a guy like Corbin Burns who has excellent strikeout to walk numbers even if his strikeout rate was down last year. And you look at the fact that home runs have been... Uh, maybe his biggest issue generally speaking over the last couple of years and then you look at that wall in Camden Yards and think, okay, uh that's going to be that's going to make him even better, right? I mean, already already a top ten pitcher in the league or consensus. Uh I don't did you I don't think you had him in your top ten, but he was uh,
1: yeah, he was very close. And I'm I'm definitely in the minority.
0: That's fine. But uh going into it most particularly he gave up 25 home runs last year would have given up 18 if all of his games were pitched on camden yards um so that's those seven home runs uh that would make a huge difference in the public perception of him
1: yeah absolutely um
0: an enormous difference
1: and yeah with him saying that it makes a good bit of sense like just from a human level considering like um you know, going from the Brewers to the Orioles, like not even that the Orioles are going to extend it, but thinking about it from his perspective, um, you know, it was big news when he talked very, very openly about his frustration with his arbitration process with the Brewers. You know, they had to go to, um, a third party with that, um, and it it, it just didn't it just didn't go well and it didn't sit well with him before that 2023 season. Well, I can and- tell you,
0: if, if you remember correctly. Do you remember what was said in that meeting? Um, I forget. They said the Brewers went to Corbin Burns and said that he was the reason they missed the playoffs in 2022. And that's why they didn't want to give him the money that he, they, he felt like he was owed.
1: Right, right. So you go, so you go from that and, and not having really any serious extension talks with the Brewers and, you know, whether or not the Orioles are going to extend him they obviously want him. Uh the Brewers didn't really show any signs of that in their arbitration process nor their uh process with you know ever sort of talking about extending with him unless there unless there's some stuff that we don't know about, but he's going from an organization that told him that they were that he was the reason that they missed the playoffs in 2022 to an organization that wanted to trade what two top ml two top 100 mlb prospects for him um you know that for one year of him so mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that definitely brings an attitude change just for just on a human level ignoring you know era expected era strikeout rate walk rate ignoring all that just from a human level it just brings more excitement to to a guy like that
0: yeah i mean if you lay it out know, here's what it looks like from the perspective of two complete outsiders like us you have the brewers the team that yes drafted and developed corbin burns uh, and a team that watched him succeed and helped him become the pitcher that he is today. Uh, but front office for personnel that have looked at him and thought, we know our offense was awful last year, but you're the reason we didn't make the playoffs, even though you were pretty much the reason we were in, a, even in a position to make the playoffs, uh, a team that presumably did not show any real interest in an extension. Uh, and then you look at the Orioles and look, the Orioles could not come to the table with an extension, they could come to the table with the biggest slap-in-the-face offer you've ever seen. But no matter what, Corbin, Corbin Burns is going to look at that and think, this team had these two assets they could have used to get any anyone in baseball. Like You could get a lot of things with D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz. They could have gotten anything, and they chose one year of me. They chose one year to have me. They could have gotten a guy with control. They could have gotten someone they perceived was better. They picked one year of me. They want me, right?
1: And this is the biggest thing they've done in a very long time.
0: Yes. And they like, not only that, but they also, yeah, completely stepped out of what has been their comfort zone for like 30 years, uh, did something that nobody thought they would do. Yeah. Broke character because they wanted to have me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like the Yankees or Dodgers or Mets where this this seems to be common practice. This is the, this is the Orioles who are known for being low budget, you know, not being aggressive in the. In the market, and you know, for whatever reason, whether that be ownership, front office, whatever, um, and yeah, it it really does bring, yeah. If I'm Corbin Burns, I'm 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 wicked pumped as well. Um, sorry sorry to drop that. I'm not even from Massachusetts, but did say did 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 drop a wicked right there. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, from a Brewers perspective, yeah, let's talk about it from a Brewers perspective. Um, you know, it it's uh. They're 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 an interesting organization because they did just sign Reese Hoskins and and seem to be buying in that aspect. But they're they're just an interesting organization because it seems like they're always sort of retooling and not necessarily going in either direction.
0: Here's my thought with the Brewers. You know, we talked last week about yeah they signed Reese Hoskins. I said that uh, I had originally my original prediction was that I was going to have Reese Hoskins going to. Uh, the brewers but i i ended up declining it because i thought they would be in full sell mode but then they weren't and now they are now that they've traded corbin burns like why not just keep going uh and i, I the first person i'm looking with at is a guy that we'll be talking about later in this show and devin williams devin williams has uh this year and then he has a uh what is it a 10 year a 10 million dollar player option or a club option uh so and i mean if he if he performs the same way in 2024 that he did in 2023 he's got two years because i think that 10 million dollar option will absolutely be taken so for all intents and purposes you have two years left of devin williams how can you not trade him right your bullpen is still going to be very strong without him with guys like abner aribe with guys like uh what is hobie Milner still in that bullpen
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah, he is. Joel Payomps was very good last year. Uh, Like, the Brewers' bullpen would still objectively look pretty good without Devin Williams. How can you not trade him if this is what you're going to do? Because, you know, trading Corbin Burns doesn't really indicate they're trying to win this year. And I know that, you know, and, like, the Brewers have also had such a huge next-man-up type of, uh, you know uh per like vibe with their bullpen right like they trade josh Hader, uh for what has turned out to be really not that much i mean i guess they got william Contreras out of the guy they traded for hater or they got for hater but uh why how can you not trade Devin williams at this point right
1: yeah yeah it, it would make a good bit of good bit of sense you know i'm wondering what the you know dialogue is within that front office because because yeah like i said they never really seem to be going in either direction. I've never really thought about the Brewers ever being in win now mode or except for maybe late 2010s ish, um, you know, in, in 18 or 19, but even then it wasn't a complete full go. And I don't remember ever them like going full rebuild mode either. Um, so yeah. it. So yeah, I think they just kind of look at each individual player as a case by case basis of like, okay, uh what are the pros and cons like are we better off with these two prospects or this player for one more year um so i'm i'm sure they're having that conversation about devin williams who is arguably and we'll get to it uh we'll 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 declare it later this episode but arguably the best reliever in baseball um so i'm wondering like okay have they reached out to teens who or do they have an idea of what they could get out of it and is that worth getting rid of you know potentially the best reliever in baseball for um for this year so yeah i'm, I'm sure there's a lot of you know weird math that goes into it but yeah there it's just interesting because like it, they never really seem to be going um full go in either direction
0: yeah i mean like it's it's so weird because like only a couple of, the brewers have been in the news the last few weeks right they extended jackson Chorio. Uh, for an eight-year contract, they simmed him. I mean, look at that. Like the like, J- Jackson Chorio. Going back to an earlier point, Jackson Chorio is basically at the same uh like uh valueability. That's not that's definitely not the word. He's definitely at the same value as uh Jackson Holiday, right? They're both very young. They're both top two prospects in the game. They're both uh going to presumably debut this year. And Jackson Chorio took eight years and 82 million. Yeah. Like the Orioles, the Orioles could go to Jackson holiday and be, Hey, eight years, and 90 million.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But
0: Anyway. Uh, yeah. It's been such a weird off season. Cause like they're in on, you know, going for Jackson Chorio, they're in with Reese Hoskins out with Corbin Burns. It's kind of hard to like, I understand that they were just never going to resign Corbin Burns to begin with. Um, But I don't know. Like it's, I, don't, I wonder if the Christian Yelich contract has like completely scarred them to the point where they're terrified to sign anyone because Christian Yelich looked like such a safe bet in that contract back in 2019, right? Or before was it before 2019 or before 2020? It was before 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it hasn't panned out, not even close. I mean, he's still owed another uh, 26 mil a year for the next – five seasons
1: yeah yeah that's not good yeah and uh and yeah that i mean that's a guy who's coming off back to back you know back to back mvp finalist seasons and you know arguably should have won it in in 20
0: very very much could have been back to back mvp seasons
1: yeah yeah back to back and that's back to back a thousand ops seasons um you know stole he stole 30 over 30 bases that. that 2019 year like yeah that it's a very good way to phrase it as definitely a safe bet. Um so yeah and and yeah it, it definitely yeah I see why an organization with maybe a lower budget why why they w- might hesitate. But yeah it's 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 interesting like trying to figure out the brewers is very very difficult. Um but uh but yeah it, it's it's all stuff that probably gets talked about behind closed doors. Um. anything more about this anything more about the burns trade
0: um i feel like that covers all of it i mean it's it's a definitely a very big shakeup in the league uh with baltimore like now very much in the picture i mean they you know they already were before but i uh, i mean this team is like i he's they're a world series contender right yeah, i mean it's... at this point it feels like not not world series or bust yet but I mean I, that's definitely a step that they're trying to take.
1: Yeah, if the Orioles owner if the Orioles new ownership goes like completely goes for it um at like it's it's like the those hypothetical scenarios where people talk about like oh what if Hornets were the size of humans like uh yeah. it would be, be crazy like what if what if this great team had a normal MLB budget like that is that is a, it'll be a very, like a, it'll be kind of
0: like the reverse of uh of like what people have thought of like a, or it'll you know what it'll be. It'll be a, a hypotheticals people have talked about with the Rays for so long where it's like the Rays have this great player development system they They, you know, roll out these incredible relief pitchers and, and everyone just out of nowhere every year. Imagine if they spent some money that could be what we see from the Orioles in the next like five years and we could see what that looks like.
1: 100 yeah 100 percent. you know like, and
0: also it's not it doesn't have this stigma attached to it attached to it that the dodgers have where it's like oh well it's la it's a massive market of course they're gonna do that if it comes from baltimore like a- every team you know every fan base should be looking at their team and be like what are we doing here how is this not the way we're running our organization
1: yeah it would be it would be unquestionably fantastic for the sport of baseball if they yeah if they did this as a red sox fan
0: and um, it would either be great for the sport of baseball or it would expose so many owners yeah, that could operate this way but choose not to and choose to, you know, uh, treat Major League Baseball like, you know, a source of profit because that is – at the end of the day, that's what this sport is. It is one of the most pro- – it is the most profitable uh, sport to own a team in, right? There's – you're exempt from antitrust laws. Uh, You have massive TV deals that broadcast 162 games a year. You get 81 games for fans to show up to every year. It's the most profitable sport to own a team in bar none. And some people see it as nothing more than that.
1: Yeah. And, and whether or not it makes owners spend more or it exposes owners, I think it will be great for baseball because absolutely because yeah, like uh, you know, having owners sort of be exposed and, you know, left with their uh i don't i don't know what the right verbiage is but just left out to dry like that you know it would it would it would do a lot for just the narrative of general baseball fans and whatnot um but yeah yeah great news for baltimore the red sox fan in me is is a little bit scared but whatever you know we can put that aside for now um but uh but yeah so good news good news from the uh the old inner harbor um a brief bit of news, not nearly as impactful, but no. um but interesting nonetheless is uh coming out of Seattle, where Seattle acquired uh Jorge Polanco. Um you know, I just found it interesting because he does have some pretty good offensive numbers, but what did you think about this move when it happened?
0: Uh the thing that I know about Jorge Polanco as a hitter is that he absolutely refuses to hit ground balls, which I love. Uh I think something that is kind of exciting for me is that the fact that he's, uh, you know, from a power perspective, moving away from Minnesota, right? They have a pretty large right field wall out there. Uh, Seattle doesn't quite exactly have that. Yeah, he had a 29% crown ball rate last year uh, and a 30%, 33% uh, from 2023 20, through 21. A 39% fly ball rate last year in uh and how many plate appearances 300 and or 343 um and does he pull the ball a lot he absolutely does 41.9% uh something that i've said about a few hitters this offseason in terms of like Esoc Paredes types Lane Thomas types is you know if you hit the ball in the air enough and you pull it enough and you have like Not an awful exit velocity. You'll find your way into a a good amount of home runs, and I feel like that's what we could see out of Jorge Polanco in Seattle. He would have hit fourteen home runs if he last year if he played all of his games in Minnesota, and he would have hit seventeen in Seattle. So you know it it'll be a ballpark upgrade for his play style. Um, if he can stay healthy, he's probably a guy that could put up some pretty good count stats. Uh, you know we could we could see twenty five homers out of him, which would be a big upgrade at the second base position from what the Mariners are used to over the last few years with, uh, you know, with Colton Wong, with Jose Caballero, with Adam Frazier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, so yeah. And something you may have just mentioned is like the, the Seattle has been, Seattle has had sort of a hole at second base for a while, pretty much since they traded Robinson Cano and to dive more into that, Um, since 2019, which is the year that they traded Robinson Cano, uh, the Mariners have the fourth lowest weighted runs created plus at second base with an 80 weighted runs created plus, which means, you know, their their second baseman, uh, on average since for the last five years have been 20% below average at the plate. Uh, and then overall production wise, they have the seventh lowest F war at the position. So, um, they tried to fill that gap with, with Colton Wong, but unfortunately he had, by far the worst year of his career for whatever reason um but Jorge Polanco is looking to um you know right that wrong and and I'm I'm pretty interested in what he can bring to the table because you know on like overall offensive production wise you know 751 OPS last year or, or in 2022 excuse me 789 OPS in 2023 both above average seasons, uh, which is pretty key out of the second base position, uh, expected numbers wise, 76 percentile and expected Woba and 82nd percentile and expected slugging, which is very, very good. Um, 94th percentile sweet spot rate. And, uh, and, you know, I think injuries have made him not produce as much, obviously, but on a game-per-game basis, uh, he's been very productive. And, in fact, I wanted to, like, kind of compare him to someone who gets a lot of praise at the second-base position. Uh, but per 650 plate appearances, uh, someone like Luisa Rise, Luisa Ariz has uh, 3.5 F4 per 650 plate appearances. Jorge Polanco is at 2.7. So, um, oh, what happened here? Um, Did we did, – were you hearing me that whole time? I just paused. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I heard
0: you.
1: I'll just restart that point. Okay. Um, looking at Luisa Rise, uh, who gets a lot of praise at the second base position. Um, over the last two seasons, uh, he has 3.5 F 4 per 650 plate appearances, which is, you know, basically a full season. Jorge Polanco is at 2.7. Uh, so like less than a win above replacement uh difference per year over the last two years. Um, on a game per game basis. It's just staying on the field. And if he can stay on the field, he can be a pretty productive player at, at the second base position. So yeah, it's um, you know, it's, he's not gonna, he's not gonna change the uh, he's not going to be the, the reason that they get into the playoffs most likely, but uh, he is just a positive, a, a positive uh, contribution to the team in general, which, you know, they could use after some of the lineup pieces they lost this off season.
0: Yeah, absolutely, they could. Um, well, uh, just because it was brought up, can we talk about the uh, the Robinson Cano trade and just how wild that was five years later? Just very briefly, it doesn't have to be a segment.
1: Yeah, no, uh, we, can, we can get into it.
0: Sometimes I think about Brody Van Wagen trading for his former client. <laughs> that was awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so in, in case you don't know, between the 2018 to 19 season, the New York Mets and Seattle Mariners made a trade that sent Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz uh, to the Mariners for uh, Justin Dunn, Jared Kelnick, uh, among others. And the the big story was that Brody Van Wagenen had just become uh the, the general manager of the um of the Mets and uh he was a former client of Brody Van Wagenen, or Robinson Cano was a former cro- uh, client of Brody Van Wagenen, uh. And basically, uh, oh, I I lost my train of thought there, um. But yeah, I have the story right, correct? He was Robin Cano was one of Brody Van Wagenen's clients. Okay, yeah, Brody, yeah, I do have this right, uh. Brody Van Wagen was the leader of creative agents agency uh which is the talent uh which was you know one of the large agencies uh in baseball once one and once upon a time and one of his major clients was Robinson Cano and then he traded for him
1: yeah that whole Brody Van the, the name Brody Van Wagen is sort of a throwback it just brings me back to high school because of like yeah and, and yep. considering all the turnover that the Mets have had in the front office like it seems like that was 15 years ago but no it was it was about half a decade ago which is pretty crazy to think about
0: yeah like, they've got how many GMs have they gone through since because they had well I mean first of all like the crazy thing about that hire was because they they hired a former agent uh which was which is like an unheard of thing and then they went through, uh, well, because, yeah, they've hired so many guys since, right? They had Jared Porter for about one month, who pulled off one of the best trades in franchise history and then left. Yeah. If, if people remember that. And they had Zach Scott, who got a DUI coming home from, like, a, an office party or something like that. And then they've hired David Stern since, and they've hired Billy Epler since. They have them both working in the, in the front office right now. But yeah, it, there's been so many like big front office hirings, and then the and then yeah, since like Sandy Alderson,
1: and even not including GMs like uh, Carlos Beltran was yep. hired and fired very quickly, and uh, then Luis Rojas, Bo- Buck Showalter, and I forget the guy Mickey who Callaway,
0: uh, yeah,
1: oh yeah, Mickey Mickey Callaway, well, Callaway
0: was before, yeah, but no, ever they had they had it's funny because they had Sandy Alderson and Terry Collins for so long. And after that, it's just been. It's like it's been like the uh, the Patriots like quarterback since Tom Brady.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like.
0: Where it's just been such a carousel. Yeah. Yeah. Like one after like a mainstay.
1: Right. Exactly. And then uh, and then and then yeah, and then the the ownership group also changed. So like. Yeah, and then
0: the ownership group changed.
1: So yeah, it's it's been like it's been, almost a toxic uh. It's it's been a very uh up and down uh thing with the mets as of late but they seem to be in a good spot now with david stearns in charge and um and just just going forward from there so hopefully that there's some there's a little bit of s- sustainability there but yeah that is that is a throwback to think about brody van wagen and
0: brody van wagen quite
1: quite the uh quite the interesting yeah. things going crazy on. crazy
0: because the mets like objectively won that trade too
1: um yeah yeah especially considering like Jared kelnick is now with the braves yeah love, for sure. what
0: was the full what was the full trade
1: um yeah i forget
0: because there are definitely guys that i'm missing the obvious the odd. The, the two that i remember were justin dunn it was yeah okay it was so it was uh wow there was a lot more names than i remember it was robinson cano and edwin diaz going to the mets for jay bruce anthony Swarzik uh Gershon Batista Jared Kelnick Justin Dunn yeah so I got I got uh two of the five but I got kind of the major two because I don't think Gershon Batista made to the majors Anthony Swarzak was kind of just a you know journeyman reliever and then also Jay Bruce
1: I do remember the Jay Bruce Mariners era was, yeah, I do was, too that was pretty fun um shout out Jay Bruce but uh but yeah so yeah uh Anything more before we get into positional rankings?
0: I uh, I do think that's it.
1: Yeah, pretty fantastic. So, um, so yeah, we will be getting into Robinson Cano's position that he dominated for a while. Maybe, maybe, maybe if we had our positional rankings, um, back in if we started the show in the mid we like would be on there. But uh, but uh, but but yeah. So there's a second base interesting class this year a major addition to it with with mookie Betts. are we
0: doing are we doing relief pitcher or second base first um i thought relief pitcher was first on the on the list oh yeah it was
1: okay yeah we'll we'll do relief pitchers first um okay i'll redo that
0: Yeah, yeah you're good
1: um so yeah now into positional rankings where we will start with relief pitchers which is which was very very interesting to do because uh like there's there's a lot of options to put there uh there's the variance that you have with like having seven to eight relievers on each team whereas like you know we're doing second base here there's not seven or eight second basemen on each team then along with that like um you know there's a closer on each team and also like when we're talking about guys over their last two seasons, maybe they're maybe they've thrown 120 innings, which is just not that much. So there's just a lot that can change on a year to year basis. So it's it's kind of hard to to make these rankings, but it should be interesting to talk about them. Um, but yeah, anything more before uh, we, we get into your number 10 here?
0: Uh no, I don't think so. Um one thing that uh I feel like everyone did like part of the development of like becoming a baseball fan and learning the statistics and like all the ins and outs of the game is like think like viewing relievers and closers as two different positions. Did, did yeah. you experience that?
1: Yeah, a little a little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know, that's just an anecdote.
1: Yeah, like I did I did have such a higher um Growing up, I did have such a higher like uh, um appraisal for the closer as opposed to the guy who pitched the seventh and eighth inning.
0: Yeah, because I well, because I played fantasy baseball starting in 2013, and you know, like one of the things you got points for was saves. So of course, it's like, well, I got to get the guy with the most saves. Which is right. you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like taking a kicker in fantasy football, where it's like which guy is going to have a lot of opportunities to. Either you know kick field goals or kick extra points or or convert saves because they're on a good team with a good offense.
1: Yeah, and then if you actually look at it on a rate basis, it's like oh, it's actually completely different than what I thought it was. Yep. It is. It is very. Yeah. It it is funny. Like I don't. I I didn't even think about like how many closers I have and how many like pre ninth inning guys I have. But um. But yeah, there's there's a there's a mix of both for sure.
0: Uh, I would imagine I have. Oh yeah, I mean I have. There's one team I believe with multiple guys. So, I mean definitely.
1: Right, right.
0: Although I do think this is mostly closers. I think I think there's nine closers on this list.
1: Yeah, I got I got definitely eight. Okay. Um yeah, I think so. Um but, I uh,
0: had a yeah. lot of honorable mentions. I think my initial list was was 17.
1: Yeah, which I have I have five honorable one, mentions.
0: Which is the largest one that I've had. Uh and I had to find a way to cut seven of them, which was really difficult. I'll I'll go through them uh after we're done. But yeah, this was a very difficult list for me to make. Um am I going first?
1: Uh yeah. Who's your number ten? All
0: right. At number ten, starting this off, I have Camilo Doval of the San Francisco Giants. Uh Camilo Doval has been uh kind of a dominant reliever ever since he came up. Uh, midway through 2021 last year uh, he put up his third consecutive season with an expected era below three Um, he's done that every year since he's been in the majors he also had a 52% ground ball rate uh, and a fly ball and line drive rate both at 20% uh, I like to see both of those at a very low rate um, one of the things that he did this year was really develop uh, his slider his slider has been very good uh, ever since he's gotten into the league but this year in particular Uh, He threw his slider 412 times, and he threw it. He did throw it more to lefties uh, than to righties, which is interesting because I feel like as a right-handed pitcher, you're usually throwing your slider more to righties because it moves out towards them and into lefties. But he did throw it uh, 263 times to lefties and 149 times to righties. And uh, he had a 49.3% whiff rate on his slider, which was fourth highest uh, among the... 99 pitchers with 200 swings against their slider in 2023. um, Camilo Doval has been, you know, I mean, he's been a, a, an, obviously an excellent pitcher. um, He does get hit a little hard, but it's also mostly on the ground. Uh, he just walks some guys and I don't know. I feel, I feel like it's very difficult to just justify why I have nine guys above him. You know, I mean, I just like I still think Camilo Duval is super talented. I mean, it took a lot for him to make this list. Uh, yeah, I have him at number 10.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, like there's there's so many like really really good pitchers that have to be left off this list with like really good numbers that like guys who have like sub 3 ERAs over the last two years that have to be left off. Um and uh just to correct myself from earlier, I think I I think I have seven closers on here because my number 10, I don't believe is going to be a closer. Um and this is I don't I don't know if it's a wild card pick, but it's it's a guy who um like hasn't probably thrown as many innings as some of the other guys on this list, but I'm talking about Jose Alvarado of the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, just uh, like just numbers wise, what he's been doing over the past two years has been pretty exceptional, especially peripherally uh, among among relievers with 90 innings over the last two years. He has the lowest FIP at 2.14. He also has the fourth highest strikeout rate and fourth highest strikeout minus walk rate. So those those are things that just translate. Having a having the lowest FIP uh, is likely going to translate, and having the highest strikeout rate and, um, you know, or not the highest strikeout rate, but one of the highest strikeout rates and one of the highest strikeout minus walk rates is something that typically translates. So, um, that's something I'm excited with. However much, however many innings he's going to pitch, I'm not sure. But with relievers, it's so hard to talk about whether they're going to be healthy or not because some guys just are just tapped out for a full year because of whatever, because of how hard they throw. But sometimes guys will surprise you and throw like 70 innings, innings one year. So you really never know or can rely upon a guy throwing that many innings. So that's why I'm putting a guy with not as many innings uh, over the past years and just has really, really good uh like inning per inning numbers. So Jose Alvarado gets the t- uh, 10 spot for me. And now your number nine.
0: Phillips. From the Dodgers, he put up a 114 ERA in 2022 and in 63 innings pitched. He threw just about the same amount of innings last year and put up a 205 ERA. So, I mean, that success has been sustained. Every single one of his uh percentile circles is above the 59th percentile or 59th percentile or above, I should say. So, I mean, he's obviously very good at everything. Uh, But his best pitch, his crown jewel, has to be his sweeper. It's the most commonly used pitch out of his arsenal um he's and also one very important thing to note he's not afraid to throw it to either uh lefties or righties threw it 284 times to righties 132 times to lefties so uh maybe a little disproportionately more to righties but uh regardless he you know he threw it uh every time he needed to and uh his his uh sweeper had a 111 batting average against last year that was the second lowest only to Sonny gray uh, minimum 300 sweepers thrown his slugging percentage against of 194 was also second to Sonny Gray so I mean that's you know when you're when you're primary I mean first of all there's not a lot of guys that have a sweeper as their primary pitch and to be able to have one not not be afraid to throw it to anyone and have it have that much success is already uh tremendous one thing that I kind of just love about Evan Phillips is that he threw 220 cutters and exactly one was to a righty, and the other two hundred nineteen were to lefties. Uh, which I kind of just found amusing. Um, wasn't actually his best pitch; didn't get the best results. But regardless, um, I kind of enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I mean he has a good four pitch arsenal. Uh, he doesn't throw his four seamer or his sinker a whole lot. It's about nineteen and eleven percent. But uh, he did get good results out of each of those last year. Um, and yes, yeah, I mean sweeper at forty five point five percent, and having it have the stats that it that he got is just tremendous so uh, i put evan phillips in my nine spot
1: yeah yeah that uh yeah that cutter thing is is pretty funny because i feel like with a gloves with a pitch with glove side movement like that you'd want to throw it to righties but yeah it's interesting
0: i actually looked it up and it's pretty it's pretty even believe it or not from righties
1: yeah that's that's interesting that's pretty interesting um so yeah on to my number nine um shout out a uh, friend of the program, although there's no rec- no, no recorded evidence of it, but uh, uh, a nice Canadian fellow, Matt Brash, who has uh, been dominant at least peripherally since he became a reliever, and I, a lot of my rankings um are just what I think they will. You know, you know the, these are rankings of what we think they're going to do in 2024, and I think a lot of a lot of my picks are guys where maybe I don't think they've been top 10 relievers in the game um, uh, these past years, but I think they're going to be they're going to make their mark in 2024, and Matt Brash is one of those guys for me. Um, he, uh, since becoming a reliever, he, so he started 2022 as a starter, struggled a little bit, had some control issues, uh, went, went went down to the minors and became a reliever, and ever since becoming a reliever, he's been a an extremely good pitcher. He has a 2.84 ERA and 2.18 FIP as a reliever in his career and among relievers with hundred plus innings over the last two seasons, he has the lowest FIP as a reliever. Um, and he's also just coming off a year with a 25% uh, strikeout minus walk rate and a sub 5% barrel rate. So, you know, with his strikeout minus walk rate being as elite as it is and him not allowing hard fly balls the way he is, um, that's just going to translate, especially in, um, especially in T-Mobile park, you know, pitcher friendly park. Uh, I really love, uh, the potential future of him. And also he was a major innings eater as a reliever through over 70 innings, uh, last year. So lots of things to be happy about with Matt Bresh's performance. And I think that's going to continue in, uh, in the next season. Uh, who do you have as your number eight?
0: Yeah, my number eight, I have a different Seattle Mariner. Uh, I have Andres Munoz, uh, in my eight, unfortunately he spent some time on the injured list last year. And, uh, only through 49 innings compared to 65 last year. That's like a month and a half's work of uh of innings that he missed out on. But there are some things he did last year that I really liked even compared to his 2022, which was objectively his better season. He had a lower ERA, uh, better strikeout numbers. Um, but anyway, uh he had a fifty-nine percent ground ball rate last year and a thirteen point seven percent fly ball rate. Um his fly ball rate went down over 10%, um, and his, his ground ball rate went up by six and a half percent. So, um, he did a lot of excellent things with his batted ball profile this year. Um, he actually started throwing a sinker well, pretty much uh, a lot more. He only threw it, uh, well, how many times in 2022? He threw two sinkers in 2022, and he threw it 19% of the time in 2023. Um, and he got... He got kind of the most insane results on it, by the way. Uh, a negative 22 average launch angle on his sinker, which is like, you're supposed to do that on sinkers, but he went even beyond that. So uh, to add that to his already insane arsenal with a filthy slider and a fastball that averages uh, 99 miles an hour uh, with like average extension uh, is pretty remarkable. Um, I would love to see what he does in a full year, but I mean, he's already... You know, I mean, I think he already has one of the best profiles in terms of, like, stuff in general. Um, and he also has pretty decent control. I mean, it, it definitely got a lot worse last year, but a 6% walk rate in 2022, obviously a strikeout rate well above 30%. Um, and, yeah, I would love to see what he... if he can continue to throw that sinker, uh, keep it in his arsenal, and then, uh, you know, see if there's a good healthy mix between the three and then some more volume.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so much potential with him you know averages over 99 on his his fastball uh which is pretty remarkable um speaking of i mean most of these guys are hard throwers but speaking of another hard throwing guy guy with like hundredth percentile uh fastball velocity um my number eight is yohan duran um you know he's interesting to evaluate because um you know fip numbers went down or fip numbers went up which is bad uh last year but also like you know he just has a very he's he's just had a good track record since he's become like a good consistent reliever and in the last two years and and it just makes a lot of sense considering his rankings why i put him number eight or number eight because in the last two years among relievers with 100 plus innings pitched he ranks eighth in era eighth in strikeout rate and eighth in strikeout minus walk rate uh so yeah i put him number eight also um expected number why expected numbers wise. He's also pretty elite out of 134 relievers with 1500 plus pitches thrown in the last two seasons. He has the sixth lowest expected slugging and fifth lowest expected woba. Um, he's pretty tre- tremendous at getting ground balls along with strikeouts as well. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's some cool things about Yohan Duran. Um, I, I think some people would put him top five. I'm a little bit hesitant, but, uh, I definitely see a case for him. You know, there's so much variance with this list in general, and I think we're going to see that as we go along, but. Who's your number seven?
0: Uh, Number seven, a guy that kind of surprised me a lot. You know, I knew that he was very good, and I expected to have him on this list, but uh, I was not ready to be that impressed by David Bednar, uh, who I put in my seven from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, You know, first of all, the Savant page obviously jumps out at you. 95th percentile expected ERA at 284, 95th percentile in expected batting average below 200. Uh, he actually throws 90 average averages 96 miles per hour with seven or 6.7 feet of extension. So the perceived velocity is better. He has a very good barrel rate, but most notably a 96th percentile chase rate and an 89th percentile whiff rate. So, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of things he's very good at. He's good at getting swing and miss, uh, good at striking guys out. And also uh, his walk numbers in like the first half of last year were like insane. I think he walked like Two guys in like April and May combined or something like that, uh, and it it did balance itself out a little more throughout the season. But I'm gonna I want to get that exact number because it was like ridiculous from uh March 30th through June 23rd. Uh, David Bednar walked a grand total of one person, of one person allowed one home run. He had a 161 ERA and a 140 FIP, um, and it did. You know, he did, uh, he did lose a little bit of command, but I mean, that's also an insanely high bar. It's not even fair to compare, but uh, the thing that really stuck out to me about David Bednar, which I haven't talked about was I noticed he gave up three home runs last season in 67 and a third innings pitched and had a 30% fly ball rate, 30.1% to be exact. And I was like, okay, how can that be? How do you allow so many fly balls, but only three leave the park? And I looked into it, and for one, 44% of his fly balls given up were straight away. And obviously, that's the most difficult place to hit a home run in a ballpark, center field. You know, pr- kind of goes anywhere. Uh, but the biggest thing was that on his, uh, his pulled and straight away fly balls, the average exit velocity was 87 miles an hour, which was, uh, I believe, the third lowest minimum 50 fly balls allowed. So... Uh, you know, even with David Bednar having a bit of an erratic uh, batted ball profile, his, the soft contact he gives up is so key, and it gives him... I mean, that's why the expected batting average is so low, right? Because you're giving up so many weak fly balls uh, that are, aren't getting out at any part of the ballpark. David Bednar did an extraordinary job at that last year. Uh, and then for that reason, and for many others, he's my number seven.
1: Yeah, 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 good. Solid uh, solid analysis right there. Um, My number seven is... Uh a guy who's really only had one really good season, but with how great it was last year, I had to give him some, some, some top 10 love. Um, He's, he's someone I put as the, how about that last year? One of my, one of my uh, reliever diving, I'm talking about Tanner Scott of the Miami Marlins. Um, He had an unreal transformation last year, led all relievers in F four last year. Uh, That is pretty remarkable. He had the second best fit uh, out of relievers with, 50 plus Indians pitched and he was 96 percentile or higher in barrel rate, hard hit rate, average exit velocity, strikeout rate, whiff rate, chase rate, and expected ERA. All those major categories, he was 96 percentile or better in, uh, at most 4% of the league was better than him in those categories, which is pretty remarkable, which is why even after just one season, I have to have him top 10. Uh, he sort of had his own, um, Shout out to you, uh, with Robbie Ray, but he had his own like Robbie Ray transformation. He did, uh, where he kind of like much of his, um, much of his pitching style or, or pitching, um, ability was around the same, except for his walk rate. He cut his walk rate by more than half last year. He went from, uh, almost sixteen percent to below eight percent. Uh, which is, which was pretty remarkable. And that's the difference between him being an average reliever and an elite reliever. So um, if he keeps that up, he's definitely a top 10 pitcher and I'm, I'm a top 10 reliever and uh, I'm relying on him to, to keep that up. So shout out to Tanner Scott uh, at number seven, who do you have as your number six?
0: Yeah. Number six, this is where I put uh, one of the bigger names, certainly among relievers a guy that we talked about recently. Um, This is where I put Josh Hader, believe it or not. Um, it took a lot for me to keep him out of the top five, but I feel like for sustainability, I did try to look at the last two years uh, for relievers. Um, and it, uh, not always, but, I mean, Josh Hader was particularly concerning uh, in 2022. I mean, his expected numbers were a lot better, but he had a 522 ERA. Uh, his home run rate ballooned that year. Um, And guys were kind of just hitting him a lot harder, generally speaking. Um, So... Uh, I ended up leaving him out of the top five, despite being one of the best, maybe the best. I mean, you there's a case where I'm at number one, to be completely honest. Um, a lot of what really concerns me is uh, the fact that he's going to be pitching in Houston now. And I think we talked about this last week, but he's a guy that, you know, despite being a sinker baller, gives up a lot of fly balls. Um, You know, he did do a good job of keeping guys from pulling the fly balls this year. Um, but if that, if that does come back to hurt him, it's going to be really bad for him with the short right field and the Crawford boxes and left. Um, and also just kind of, you know, sneak peeking it. he gave up three home runs last year and he would have given up six in Houston. Um, so uh, I did leave him out of the top five because I am a little skeptical of what he's going to look like in Houston. And also the 2022 is still, you know, kind of a haunting thing for me, but, uh, I did put him at six, but I mean, uh, yeah, again, you still can't deny, even with even with all of that concern, you still can't deny his talent and his his ability to strike guys out. Uh his ability last year to allow soft contact, he did a much better job of that this year. Uh his extension giving him more perceived velocity. Um his also his breaking stuff is slider as well. Uh, you can't deny it.
1: Yeah, one percent And uh and yeah, like um uh to add more to the talk we we talked for like 10 minutes about his sinker i think a couple of weeks ago and and it was a fun conversation because um i was very interested in it also like a one bit note of research that i did on my own was uh when he throws it when he throws a sinker in the lower third of the strike zone in his career the slugging against is like 450 something and when it's in the upper third it's like 30 something which is it's almost reverse of what usually happens but um usually when you throw sinkers up up in the zone, it's it's worse for you. But in with Josh Hader, it seems to be better with him. But yeah, going to Houston, yeah, I, I did see those those like um home run numbers by by ballpark numbers. And those did uh those did pop in my mind for sure, and they definitely were in consideration for me. Um with my number six, uh, this is another guy similar to Hader, like leg sort of a a legacy guy or at least has been over the past few years um but with this guy he his performance dropped a little bit last year um but was still very good but but not with the elite of some of the guys i have above him but i'm talking about emmanuel classe um granted he did lead in saves uh but still we we, we have to talk about more than that um with emmanuel classe Uh, In terms of the longer term, he's the leader among relievers in F4 over the last two years, Uh, but breaking it down to last year, he did have some alarming drops in strikeout rate and ground ball rate, which is kind of his bread and butter. He was very good at he was very good at striking batters out and he was very good at getting the ball on the ground. Um, And as part of a result of him giving up less ground balls, more line drives, more fly balls, uh, that resulted in increases in average exit velocity and barrel rate. And that's part of why his ERA more than doubled. His ERA went from, uh, 1.36, I believe to 3.22, um, which is, you know, takes you from number one to number six for me, cause I probably would have had him, um, top two, uh, heading, heading into last year, but, Um, Because of those um, drops in strikeout rate and ground ball rate increases in barrel rate and average exit velocity, and his ERA going up so high, um, even if it was good, uh, I kind of have to take him out of the top five for that reason.
0: Um, Who do you have as your number five? So at number five, this is where I put a guy you previously mentioned, an ARR alum, friend of the program. Uh, This is where I put Matt Brash of Team Canada and also of the Seattle Mariners. Um, he has, I believe, a 218 FIP ever since he became a reliever and 0.27 home runs per nine. Uh, walk numbers are a little up there, but, you know, he's still only going into his age 26 season, his third full season, the majors. So, uh, you know, I have faith that he can, he can, he has time to figure out the walks. And even then his walk rate was still 34th percentile, which is not that bad considering a K rate in the 98th percentile and a whiff rate in the 98th percentile. So, he certainly makes up for it. I uh, earlier I mentioned with David Bednar how he had a very low exit velocity on his pulled and straight uh, and his uh opposite field fly balls. Uh, Matt Brash was the lowest on that list at eighty four miles per hour. Uh, on his pulled and uh opposite field fly balls, he had also three home runs allowed last year. A thirty point also a thirty point one percent fly ball rate in seventy point two innings pitched. Uh, and he had very similar. Uh, analysis to David Bednar, except this time he comes with one of the best sliders. Uh, certainly one of the best-looking sliders in all of baseball. It had a forty-eight point five percent whiff rate last year. Uh, a thirty-point five percent put-away rate. Uh, having a thirty-point five percent put-away rate on your best pitch or on your primary pitch, I should say, is kind of insane. He almost had more strikeouts than he did batted balls against his slider. Seventy-one strikeouts to seventy-nine batted balls, which is absurd. Uh, to have over a full season uh, you know he does need a little bit of work on his secondary pitches his fastball and curveball uh, cutter and sinker did not produce the greatest stats uh, last year I mean he did get you know a good number of whiffs healthy number of whiffs on all of them but when hit and play they were eh. but um but I mean you can't deny how ridiculous his slider is and how much one pitch is able to carry his entire arsenal um, he's the other guy that's not afraid to throw it to anyone. He threw it 369 times to righties, 290 times to lefties. So not even really like disproportionate to one side looks pretty even to me, a good, healthy mix of pulled straight away and, and, uh, opposite field, uh, you know, pretty even on all, all fronts there. Um, but yeah, I have Matt Brash in my five because I think there's still improvements he can make. And I believe he absolutely should and will make, uh, that will make him even better so i have him in my five
1: yeah for sure and just visually watching that slider it's like absolutely well.
0: i mean i've seen it in person
1: yeah it yeah, is it's special uh, it's like it's like is that even is that even real is this is this ai who's, who's yeah dude? um yeah but uh my yeah we, we kind of flip-flopped on seattle relievers um mm-hmm. and i i understand why you put um brash ahead of this guy but i'm talking about andres muñoz is my number five um part of this is like this might be my most like vibey pick like like sort of just feeling out the energy feeling what the world is giving me the energy that the world is giving me and thinking what's going to happen for 2024 and i think part of that part of me putting muñoz um at number five despite some you know drop in performance last year is just like i'm so i'm still so amazed with what he was able to do in 2022 he had an expected era of 1.84 that year that just doesn't happen uh it was it's pretty it's pretty exceptional and you know he was so great at preventing hard contact along with getting a high whiff rate even last year he had a 39 percent whiff rate that's that's insane it's absolutely insane so um I think I'm just thinking that he's going to track back more to that 2022 self because I think he's well, heading into his age 25 season. Um, but yeah, there, there are some things like looking at last year, why, you know, he may have dropped down some guys list or just fallen out of the list completely because I think his strikeout rate dropped, um, you know, his ERA increased and his expected ERA increased by more than a full run. So, um, I'm, what I'm going with here is thinking about what he was able to do in 2022 and, and thinking that, you know, with his stuff, with that amazing slider and with that high velocity fastball, he's going to be able to be a top five reliever again. Um, So yeah, the, the, it's just kind of more of a feeling the energy out with Andres Munoz and, and we we've, we've seen how great he is and um was still very good last year. He didn't really fall off a crazy amount, although a little, a little bit incrementally. Um, yeah. If was, we,
0: if Go we ahead. did this list last year, I probably would have had him in like the three or four. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah. he was that good. And number, at my number four, I took a guy that you all, another guy that you mentioned earlier. Uh, I took Johan Duran. Uh, I refuse to believe anyone hits well off this guy. Like he had one of the higher home run rates among, uh, people that are on this list for us. He gave up six home runs last year, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is for a reliever especially a reliever with a 15% fly ball rate every time i see a guy hit a home off him or like make hard contact i'm like no they had to have gotten lucky um, yeah it feels like we still haven't seen the best out of Johanda ron re- results wise i mean stuff wise we know it's there he casually has a fastball that averages 101.8 miles an hour um like it's nothing uh, he put up an expected era of 260 last year a bat an expected batting average of 185 a ground ball rate at 66.2 percent uh which is only like 11 points behind andre palante which is pretty remarkable um and yeah like his i mean first of all like the four-seamer is what it is right i mean he it's a dart it's 102 i almost really wonder what it would look like if there was a more even balance between his four seam his curve and his splitter because the splitter is like really the uh the famous one right i mean it didn't get the best results last year but a negative 14 degree launch angle is awesome uh somehow it somehow his split finger had the lowest whiff rate of all of his pitches um by a, quite a large margin actually uh but it did have the highest put away rate so i would imagine he throws it a lot with two strikes or a decent amount with two strikes um yeah i mean it's, it's this definitely does is a more field pick than anything else, but he has a negative launch angle for his career, negative 2.3, had 3.7 last year. And this is definitely a sort of investment pick. Like, I know that he hasn't gotten the the best, I mean, he's gotten very good results, but he, you know, he hasn't gotten number four reliever in the league type results, but I feel like those can easily be coming.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, And yeah, none, none of these guys that we're putting on the list are coming off like actual down years, like actual years where they were below yeah. average pitcher. It's just the the standard so just, for being yeah. a top 10 reliever is so high, at least on a rate basis. Like if you're like, Emmanuel Classe had a three two two ERA last year, which is really good. But like he fell off, he fell completely off of MLB Network's top 10. And it was kind of, you kind of understood why.
0: It, relievers are capable of so many magical things that when they look human, it's like, wow, this guy sucks. Yeah, especially yeah. like elite relievers.
1: Yeah, exactly, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, so my number four, um, you may have him higher. I imagine you would have him on the list, but I'm um, talking about uh Ryan Helsley, um, or maybe you won't have him on because uh he was injured last year. But Ryan Helsley, uh, among relievers with a hundred plus innings over the last two years, he is top three in ERA, FIP, strikeout rate, and strikeout minus walk rate. Those are like maybe the four most important numbers to me when evaluating these pitchers, or at least with the, the top three with ERA, FIP, and strikeout minus walk rate. Tremendous to be top three in all of those. Um, granted, you know, he only threw 36 innings last year, um, but it's it's kind of hard to project health, especially with relievers and, and pitchers in general. Um, so like, yeah, like, he, you know, if he if he goes out and throws 65 innings this year i have no reason to believe he won't be a, a, a an amazing reliever um and along with that uh the, that doesn't include um the expected era but expected era wise uh last two years 2.04 and 2.25 that is remarkable uh really really good stuff he didn't qualify for percentiles this this last year but he was 99th percentile in 2022 in terms of expected era so um quality of contact and barrel rate have not been alarming uh either or or at least alarming enough um very good sweet spot rate numbers each of the last two years his barrel rate was cut by more than half last year which was really good that barrel rate was um would have been like probably 90th percentile or higher last year if he did qualify um so yeah i mean all the numbers really, really favor Ryan Helsley. So that's, you know, he you could argue to have him higher than four, but I have him at number four right now.
0: I, I, I'll I tell you right now, I put him at my 11.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I, it hurt because I really wanted to put him. But I think the thing about relievers is like with how good some people can be, like a down year can put you from number three to a number 11.
1: It's you true. Know? And
0: like I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Housley has the fourth best reliever season last in next year. Um, but you know, like coming off that, you know, I, I always try to do safer picks, so to speak. Or I don't want to say I try to, but like it's easier to make the safer picks. And it's like, you know, when you're coming off of a not a down year, but an injury year where you regressed a bit, like it it can be tough.
1: Right. Right, um, right.
0: But the guy in my three is coming off of a remarkable year. It is Tanner Scott. I put him in my three. Ooh. Um, I, you know, it's very weird because you certainly don't, you know, he, he's a name that you wouldn't have expected to have the third best reliever season. And even looking at his name, it felt like it could be a fluke, but I think this could be who he is. You know, I mean, given, given the vibe, right, he feels like the kind of guy that, you know, maybe thrives off of not walking people, has like a slightly above league average strikeout rate, gets soft contact, uh, you know, good lefty, you know, maybe primarily faces lefties. No, he's the makings of, a, of, a, of an elite reliever in every sense of the word. Uh, he has a good fastball. He has good breaking stuff. He only throws two pitches and they're pretty evenly thrown, uh, but both of them are elites. Uh, Looking into it last year, his slider produced 16, a a run value of 16, uh, which doing that as a reliever is insane. That's very difficult to do. Uh, And his four-seam fastball had a run value of 9. So both of his pitches were, you know, beyond elite last year. Uh, Both of them move very well, particularly his slider moves above average in both horizontal and vertical movement. Um, He strikes out a lot of guys to the degree of a 90- Ah, uh, eighth percentile strikeout rate, thirty-three point nine percent. Only a seven point eight percent walk rate. You know, a lot of these guys had some, you know, have struggles with their command, but it doesn't really matter because of how absurd their strikeout numbers are. No, Tanner Scott had a sixtieth percentile walk rate. He was an above, he was an above average pitcher in walk rate while being among the best in ah uh, in strikeout rate. So. He did that. He also upped his ground ball rate to 50%, which I like. He had a very low fly ball rate, Uh, line drive weight rate around the league average, which is fine. Uh, yeah, it, I didn't, you know, it, Tanner Scott does not have the vibe of, of a top three reliever, but his numbers say that he is. And I think he can continue to be that in 2024.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it, it <clears throat> His, uh, it was it was pretty remarkable to see what he did last year and like looking at the baseball savant page and seeing how how bright that red is in every single category was Mm. um that was that was what really sold it for me um my number three is a different lefty reliever a guy who uh definitely his success definitely goes beyond uh 2023 it's josh Hader. um and uh and yeah like I typically do, and I definitely understand looking at it on a two-year scale, because I typically do look at all of these rankings and look at all these players uh, on a two-year scale or maybe three-year scale sometimes, but with how much of an outlier 2022 was for Josh Hader, I'm not as considering it as much as I would another uh, pitcher, because that really did take place in the span of 19 appearances uh, last or in 2022, um, the, those first 27 appearances that he had he had a 105 era and 171 FIP. then he had the worst maybe two months of his life and then uh his final 10 appearances he had a zero era and 0.97 fifth and then last year he goes on to have um goes on to win reliever of the year i believe uh with a 128 era something like that uh but but nonetheless uh last year he had the third lowest ERA among relievers with 50 plus innings pitched and he was and he has 99th percentile expected ERA in 2018, 2019, 2021 and 2023. So that's all years except for 2020 which was the shortened season and then 2022 where he had the worst two months of his life uh on the mound which was pretty which was like it was pretty uh astounding like how bad it was. But it seems like he's flipped the switch and turned it back on to regular Josh Hader form. So I'm just kind of relying that on that on him to be back at that level. Uh, the Crawford boxes thing that does play a bit of a factor, but I feel like I'll have to I'll have to see it to see what impact it may have. Um, so uh, yeah, now onto your number two reliever in baseball for 2024.
0: Yeah, my number two. Uh, I feel like the top two, it, it can be uh, interchangeable in order, but it's a pretty clear top two. I have Devin Williams in my two, a guy that we mentioned earlier, who I think maybe the Brewers should trade if they're going to go down this route of selling. But let's talk about what he did, uh, whether it be last year, whether it be two years, his whole career. Uh, and, I mean, when you're talking about Devin Williams, you're talking about change-ups, right? That is just, that's just what you're doing, very famously, the airbender. Uh, is among the best pitches in the league. He's consistently put up, uh, in three of the last four years, including 2020, He his changeup has had a run value above 10, which is a count stat that relievers very rarely get to. He's done it three times with one pitch, which is remarkable. He has thrown 1,406 changeups with 40, with, uh, 40 inches of downward movement and uh, 17 inches of arm side movement over the last four years. Nobody else has done more than 421, and he has done 1,406, which is also a very famous number in baseball lore to begin with. <laughs> uh, looking into it, otherwise, his four-seam fastball would be most pitchers. like and Pitchers, there are guys that would kill to have Devin Williams' fastball as their primary pitch, and that is his very clear secondary pitch. Uh, he averages 94.2 miles per hour, but... He gets the most extension off the mound of any pitcher in baseball, 7.7 feet of extension. So his fastball is really more like 96 miles an hour, even though it's 94, uh, which is an incredibly important thing. That's a major difference maker. Uh, That's how he got a 177 batting average with a 274 slugging and pretty similar expected numbers off of his four-seamer last year. That's also how he got a 41.8% whiff rate and 31.3% put-away rate. On his four-seam fastball, uh, this is an ace-type pitch, and it's his secondary pitch, which is uh, goes, which says so much more about his changeup than anything else. But, uh, I think anyone who knows about Devin Williams understands how good his changeup is to begin with. Um, he has, you know, he does have walk issues, but he struck out thirty-seven point seven percent of all batters faced last year. He gets good chase numbers, good whiff numbers, soft contact. Um, better than most anyone in the league. Uh, a very good ground ball rate. Um, and you know, all of it culminates to, like I said, the second best reliever in the league going into 2024.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and that extension point is, is pretty interesting because he's only, I mean, for a human, it's tall, but for an MLB pitcher, it's actually below average. He's six foot two. Yeah. He's six two. Um, I think maybe he has he might have some longer arms or whatever, but, uh, also just, yeah, good stride and whatnot. So, and, uh, yeah, seems, seems to get good extension which is pretty which is pretty cool but um yeah for my number two get your trumpets ready because we're talking about edwin diaz who is uh who is coming back from uh his torn patellar tendon injury which he suffered at the world baseball classic um and uh is coming back for for 2024 and uh and yeah like with when talking about edwin diaz you cannot you can't talk about him without talking about how historic that 2022 season was i mean a 50% strikeout rate 42% strikeout minus walk rate and 0.90 fip uh that was absolutely historic um and why i don't have him number 1 off of that season is just because he he wasn't he was never at that level before his career. He was always very good, or or at least most of the time very, very good, but never quite at that level. And also coming off an injury, I'm not sure that he is going to be, you know, a sub one FIP pitcher, albeit I think he'll he'll have an ERA and FIP, you know, uh around two or something like that, which is very much, you know, that that is an elite reliever status. So you kind of have to do some guesswork, but based off that 2022, he is uh an amazing relief pitcher and um hopefully will recover from that injury pretty nicely. Um so yeah, your number one reliever in baseball for 2024
0: is Edwin Diaz. Um he put up an impossible season in 2022. Uh a, again, a 50.2% strikeout rate, a forty-nine point nine percent whiff rate, half of all swings taken against Edwin Diaz pitches were missed. Uh that is impossible. Um yeah, I mean it, I don't know I don't know what else there is to say a one six nine expected ERA. We talk a lot about how expected statistics kind of rubber band each other, you know, it's very hard to have an expected batting average above 300 even though it's kind of normal to have a regular batting average above 300. It's impossible practically to have an expected ERA at one sixty nine even though a one ERA in a season out of a reliever is, uh, you know, it's not that much of an anomaly. Um, you can't ignore, you can't, you can't, I mean, I, you know, putting him at number two is, is fine as well because I get it. He missed the whole season. But, uh, if you remember, Chris, I put him in my single season's draft midway in August of 2022. I. Uh, because that's how good it was. Like that season was so good that I was willing to look at every single season a reliever has ever had and be like, you know what? I'm gonna gamble on these last two months of Edwin Diaz and say that it's gonna be there uh when it's when it's all said and done. And it was. It absolutely was. Uh, he he lived up to that. Um he he has better walk numbers than Edwin than uh Devin Williams did last year. Um he does have him there. The extension is also very good with Edwin Diaz and his slider uh, is, you know, I mean, it's everything, right? I mean, it's very far above the league average in velocity. A 91-mile-per-hour slider on average is very difficult. 2022 was actually the first season of his career where he threw his slider more often than his fastball. Um, He threw it 313 times to righties, 226 times to lefties. So, you know, a fair amount to both. Only one home run given up in 539 pitches. In fact, one extra base hit given up. In five hundred thirty nine pitches, a one fourteen batting average, one thirty four slugging, similar expected numbers, a a launch angle in the single digits, so that produced a lot of ground balls, a fifty four point seven percent whiff rate, thirty eight point four percent put away rate. Um, I could go on and on and on, but I can't. You know Mm -hmm. what? I know that he missed the season, and I get that's probably a large part of the reason he's not in the one. But you can't just act like he didn't do that in twenty twenty two, and that's why I'm putting him in my one.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think part of also why I I may have put another guy above him is like, you know, that season did happen, but it is one season, and you know, over the looking at a two year sample from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, ERA was at two three eight, but that FIP was one point seven zero, which is pretty. Yeah,
0: I mean, I know, I know. I said earlier, I try to look at a two year span, and that's you know, I do remain consistent on that, but that season gets a pass because of how absurd it was. Yeah, understood. Understood. So now my number one reliever is where
1: your number two was. It's Devin Williams. Um, and part of this might be just a shout out to him for like his entire career, or at least since 2020, when he was a rookie, it's just been, con- he's just hasn't had a hiccup. He's been consistently great all four years. Uh, whereas I think most of the players on this list, either haven't been in the league for four years or within those four years, have had maybe a little bit of a hiccup where they weren't an elite reliever. Uh Devin Williams has been an elite reliever since he was a rookie, which is uh which you can't say about every single person on this list. Uh among relievers with 150 plus innings since the start of 2020, Williams has the lowest DRA and second lowest FIP and second highest uh strikeout rate. And I I get looking on a four-year scale is a little bit long, but I'm just trying to emphasize like he has been amazing all throughout his worst year was 2021 and he had a 250 era uh that's that's just very very elite um and uh i think he's just going to continue that And I he's just one of the more reliable guys on this list and i think that has a value in its own right maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling of this group but i think he does have um he just has a great track record and he also has you know youth on his side he's not I think he's what age 28 or 29 or something like that season. Um, So, so yeah, I, I don't see that. Perfor- I don't see that performance dwindling anytime soon. And, uh, and yeah, he's just been, he's been like the class of the, of the reliever position because, you know, when talking about the class of the reliever position, you know, Edwin Diaz uh, obviously historic 2022, but not as good of a, 2021. Josh Hader obviously had his his blow up in 2022. Um, Ryan Helsley has only been around for like two years. Uh, same with Andres Munoz. Emmanuel Clase's numbers uh got a little bit worse last year, whereas Devin Williams has just been uh in the cream of the crop um just consistently for four years now. So, uh, that's that's why I put him number one shout out to Devin williams um yeah do we want to talk about our do we want to mention our honorable mentions because there were a lot of guys i really considered yeah
0: um i mentioned earlier that ryan Helsley was my 11 i went very back and forth between he and camilo delval before eventually landing on delval um ryan presley was one of my honorable mentions brian abreu ryan walker both of my underrated reliever picks from from the all underrated team were in my consideration i wanted to get minter up and moving uh but i decided against that unfortunately um there were definitely others as well class a was one of them obviously he didn't end up making my list um i deleted them but there were others
1: yeah my my guys that Chris i had martin yep my guys I had in consideration were camilo doval who probably was my 11 as well uh you know he was your number 10 um I also was considering David Bednar, who had who you had as your seven, Brian Abreu, like you mentioned, Chris Martin, like you mentioned, uh, Evan Phillips uh, just missed the list. I think part of it is just I feel like that underlying numbers uh, suggest maybe his ERA might rise a little bit, and which is you know which like if you're not if you're not projected to have like an ERA below two point five, you might you you can't just be in the list. Get out of here. Also uh, Pete Fairbanks uh, in consideration as well, considering um, how great his numbers have been over the last two years, but he's just been kind of injured as well. Very. Um, Yeah. So uh, yeah. But to review our 10 through one, I'll start with, uh, with mine. Uh, It goes Jose Alvarado, number 10, Matt Brash, number nine, Johan Duran, number eight, Tanner Scott at number seven, Emmanuel Classy at number six, Andres Munoz at number five, number four was Ryan Helsley. Number three was Josh Hader. Number two is, edwin diaz and number one devin williams
0: yeah so for my number 10 i had camilo delval number nine evan phillips number eight andres muñoz number seven david bednar number six josh Hader. number five matt brash number four Yoan duran number three tanner scott number two devin williams and number one was edwin diaz
1: fantastic well That, uh,
0: that first trumpets in 2024 is gonna hit so different
1: oh for sure Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Um, and yeah, he's yeah, Edwin Diaz, by the way, like he's been in the league for a long time, but still only 30. Um, so no reason to think that he's that this is gonna this injury is gonna affect him a crazy amount, uh, considering age and whatnot. But yeah, now on to second baseman. Um, a little bit of an odd position, uh, because all like a lot of the players that seem to do well hitting are not as good defensively. And some of the players that are not as good hitting are great defensively and great on the bases. So, uh, judge, so ranking some above others just seemed weird. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, the confidence I have in my picks here are, is, is marginal, but I, I think, I think we can, I think we can make a solid case for a lot here. I think, what everyone agrees on is a consensus top three. Uh, I think every, I I think everyone kind of has the same top three uh, depending on order, but, um, but yeah, so I'll start with second base here. My number 10 is a kind of a a newer guy to the class of the position, but I was kind of impressed with what he did this past year. And I'm talking about Bryson Stott, uh, who was a shortstop in 2022. And then the Phillies signed Trey Turner. So Bryson stopped, moved over to second base and he made a very good transition. He was seventh in F4 among second basemen with 50% of the games played at the position last year. Uh, Seventh among them in F4, which is the whole package. And when considering that whole package, uh, I'm talking about a 104 OPS plus, 17 outs above average, six defensive runs saved, uh, 31 for 34 on stolen base attempts and a 49% extra base taken rate on the bases, uh, was also fifth among all fielders in outs above average and second among second basemen in BSR. Um, also, uh, to be to get into some of the improvements he made from 2022 to 2023, he had some in- very encouraging drops in whiff rate, strikeout rate, and pop-up rate, and had an increase in sweet spot rate that put him 71st percentile uh also he's a younger guy heading into his age 26 season so yeah he put up some very solid like whole package numbers last year was an above average hitter uh great on the bases and great on defense as well uh which you know garners him a top 10 position for me who do you have as your number 10
0: so in my 10 uh, i put a guy who had a down year last year but uh looked good in 2022. I put Andres Jimenez in my 10. Um, you know, batted ball profile looks pretty bad, but uh his defense was pretty outstanding last year, uh, as it's been for the last few years. And I mean his defense almost by itself earned him a top 10 spot here, you know, 14.9 defensive runs above average last year, uh, 12 in 2022, a hundredth percentile in outs above average at 18, and also a 93rd percentile sprint speed. Uh, and an 84th percentile base running run value along with a 99th percentile fielding run value. So across the board, he is among the best defenders in all of baseball. And, you know, he did have a, uh, a six win season in, in 2022, a random 142 weighted runs created plus, which I think we kind of figured wasn't quite sustainable and he regressed down to a 97. Uh, but you know what? You know, being a league average hitter, is all he needs to do with his other skill set to be a a 3.5 win player every year. And I think that's good enough for top 10 at the position. And uh, I have no reason to believe he can't do that again next year. So as long as he stays between 95 to 105 weighted runs created plus and anything higher than 105 would be excellent. But with that defense and base running, I think there's a fair case that he's a a top 10 hitter or top 10 player at second base. He also uh, dropped his strikeout rate last year by 2% uh walk rate has remained relatively consistent uh and yeah i have andres jimenez in my 10.
1: yes shout out uh andres jimenez my number nine is uh this might be controversial but i'm talking about luis arise uh who you know great offensive pedigree even uh disregarding like oh he's got back-to-back batting titles which obviously you know has its merit but isn't everything still like Sabermetrically speaking also a very very good hitter uh 131 OPS plus over the last two seasons from Luis Suarez and he has the second highest OPS among second basemen with 800 plus plate appearances over the last two years um however why I don't have him higher is that defense and that base running uh he has a 36% extra base taken rate over the last two years and is 7 for 13 on stolen bases so just an overall negative on the bases uh when he does get on, which is a very a high amount of time, uh, nonetheless, but also, um, in 2023, he had negative 13 outs above average. Uh, although I will say, uh, maybe in defense of him, defensive metrics are very, very weird on him. Uh, he has negative 38 career outs above average, but, but positive eight career defensive runs saved. So defensive runs saved actually views him as a good defender. Um, but outs above average has him very negatively, and I kind of trust that more just based on like, you know, he, he's not as athletic as uh, a lot of the other players on this list. So I kind of trust the out, outs above average a little bit more. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, Oh, that, that offensive pedigree is high, but obviously batting averages and everything and defense and base running uh, does matter. I, I know um I think Mike Petriello and MLB network each had them, each had him in their top five, um so yeah it might be a little bit of a hot take to put him at number nine um who do you have as your number
0: nine chris it is not a hot take (laughs) but Luis rise at number nine uh i have him there too yeah uh i you pretty much nailed it you said everything that i was going to say uh you know certainly he is a an anomaly of a hitter right a 5.5 percent strikeout rate is absurd uh no matter what the year is right i mean that's the kind of stuff we would look at from a guy in like 1881 and be like man a five percent strikeout rate how do you do that uh well Luis arise did it last year uh casually put up a 393 on base percentage and yeah the offense is awesome uh it's gonna be very very hard for him to replicate Yeah, i mean you know he is he is a very good hitter he's you know in turn, you know, there are certain skill sets within hitting that he is better at than anybody else in baseball. It's still very hard to maintain a 31% line drive rate uh, with the, you know, additionally, you know, uh, everything else that comes with that. Um, but yeah, I with, in terms of the defense, the base running, the defense particularly, you know, I thought that his defense was going to improve because he was moving from first base over to second base. Between twenty twenty two and twenty three, you know, he played a lot of first base in twenty twenty two. I figured that moving to second base would help him out a lot. It didn't. Uh, he had you know relatively similar similar defensive numbers at second base, uh, which is definitely a cause for concern because you know bad defense at first base is the default, but bad defense at second base is you're one of the worst in the league at it, um, and that's kind of what he was last year. Uh, and yeah, that is why I had him at number nine. You know, the defense is very concerning coming from a defense-heavy position, and it is you know it is Luis Arise. He is the best at certain skill sets of hitting, uh, in all of baseball. But those skill sets are very very hard to sustain.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and yeah, what I'll say about Arise is like there's only a couple guys on this list that I would take their off at their. Or I would take their, hitting over him and and hitting as a whole package ops uh slugging if if we were talking
0: about hitting i would at at least put him in number five at the very worst
1: yeah a hundred percent like uh his hitting prowess is uh is very very good um but uh but but yeah and i'm trying to um just wanted to add another point and seeing how many games he played at first base in uh 2022 but yeah he playing first base, he played first base on the twins who had Jorge Polanco at second base, who's also a negative defender. So they put a negative defender above Luis Arise um, with the twins. So if that, like, that's kind of where the teams evaluated him is like that. Okay. He's, he's more of a first baseman um, than like Jorge Polanco would be. Who's also, who's just like not a good defender either. Um, And maybe that's why I compared him compared the two earlier in the show but just one moment please uh yeah he played 65 games at first base in 2022 as opposed to uh like
0: 30 something games at second right
1: uh 41 so close yeah pretty close so so yeah like they had hory polanco playing um against him which is speaks measures because he's a negative defender and that leads into my number eight pick uh, who is sort of similar to Luis Arise, just a little bit better defense. I'm talking about Cattell Marte, who, um, yeah, it was, it was a Marte Parte last year. He had a very good year last year. Looking at the longer term scale, he had a 118. He has a 118 OPS plus over the last two seasons. And uh, last year that OPS plus was 128, which was very, very good. And also had positive defense. And was fourth in F war among second basemen last year, uh, or at least among second basemen who played half their games at the position. Um, And uh, Sabre, or you know, underlying numbers wise, very good as well, was 70th percentile or higher in strikeout rate, walk rate, whiff rate, chase rate, and expected Woba. Um, So, yeah, with Katel Marte, like he's an interesting player because we thought he was going to be a breakout uh especially after his 2019 where he finished fourth in the MVP. Uh he kind of regressed after that, but he's sort of had a little bit of a career revival. And, you know, you can do that when you're as, you know, when you start out uh as well as young as he was. Um he's still like, you know, kind of in the middle of his of his career. So uh yeah, him him improving his offensive numbers was very encouraging last year. Uh for me to rank him a little bit higher, I need to see him to repeat that success. Uh who do you have as your number eight?
0: I also have Ketel Marte in my eight. Yeah, we're we're yeah. agreeing pretty strongly on this list so far. Yeah, Ketel Marte in terms of people I'd say from like 4 through 9, 4 through 10 on this list is one of the most balanced shortstops in baseball in terms of uh having a more diverse skill set than most others, right? I mean, he has a very good offensive profile. Uh his uh you know, he hits the ball uh you know, at a at a at first of all, ninety one mile per hour exit velocity. Uh, that's that's obviously very good. In four hundred sixty five plate appearances coming from the second base position, and he's kind of consistently been in that range since two thousand nineteen. He's had a exit velocity over ninety in for the last five seasons. Um, he also keeps the ball off the ground pretty good enough. His ground ball rate has always been around the league average, maybe a little above, maybe a little below. Uh, so his batted ball profile has been pretty average. Um, and defense. He's been uh above average, you know, at the position. Uh generally speaking, you know, in terms of outs above average, he had his best year since 2018 in 2023. So um that's good. His base running has always been fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, I mean the, the another thing, you know, he's very good with strikeout, striking out and walking. He is a 10 point he had a 10.9 strikeout, or excuse me, a 10.9 walk rate last year, which was the highest of his career. Um and he had a sixteen point eight percent strikeout rate down a couple percent from two thousand twenty two. Um yeah I don't know. Cattell Marte has just been kind of weirdly consistent to the point where there's just not much to really say. It feels like.
1: Right, right, and um, I do have
0: him in my eight.
1: Yeah, when I was talking about seventieth percentile, I forgot to mention average exit velocity, which you talked about ninety one miles per hour. He also yeah mm-hmm. was uh I think seventy seventh percentile in average exit velocity or something like that. Um, but yeah, now on to my number seven, uh, who a guy has a high profile. Um I think fans really like him, might rank him higher, but also MLB Network left him completely off their top 10, if I'm not mistaken. But for my number seven, I'm talking about Ozzie Albies, um, the Braves second baseman, who had a 124 OPS plus last year and the fifth most F 4 among second basemen last year. Also a 63% extra base taken rate. Uh, as we talked about before, that's going first to third on singles, first to home on doubles, uh, second to home on singles. And uh, Ozzie Albies was 21 percentage points above league average last year, which is pretty remarkable. Um, Where a lot of people may have concern is that defense, uh, outs above average-wise, he went from plus four to negative 10 from 2021 to or from 2022 to 2023 um however his defensive runs saved actually increased so it it kind of goes to my narrative of like single year uh defensive numbers can be a little bit squirrely and i think that outs above average drop might be a little bit weird and maybe he's not a positive four outs above average guy but i can't imagine he's going to repeat a negative 10 outs above average guy or repeat is a guy who has negative 10 outs above average and if he does um he'll go down this list uh, but i will need to see that happen um for for me to take that or for me to consider his defense as as heavily as that um but yeah considering offense and how he had a 124 ops plus last year and the fifth most f4 among uh second basemen um yeah i put i put him number 7 uh who do you have as your 7
0: uh i have a guy that you put at number 10, uh, I put Bryson Stott in my seven. Uh, You know, he did, there are things that I really like that he did last year. He increased his line drive rate by 25%. Um, And, you know, with guys like Bryson Stott, I feel like their offensive profile is really determined by how good their line drive rate is. You know, if you're not going to hit for power, uh, at least hit uh, for average as best as you can. And the way to do that is by hitting line drives. Because not only is it good for hitting for average, but also get a lot of uh, you'll get some extra bases out of that as well. If you're quick enough, you're good at placing the ball enough. And Bryson Stott, you know, did that a lot better last year. He also is, you know, tremendous at defense. And, you know, I mean, it certainly makes a difference on a team that has been desperate for defense for a few years now in Philadelphia. Um, but also, you know, doesn't strike out really a whole lot, 15.6%. Whiffs at 15.1%. Uh, sweet spot rate is very good, 36.4%. That's a few percent above the league average um base running he's very good uh you know and I mean I feel like you know there are a lot of second basemen that have uh not great overall offensive profiles uh Bryson Stott I think is a little better in terms of his batted balls you know I think uh last year he put up a 748 OPS and I think that's pretty similar to what he's capable of in in the long run um right right. on top of that you know very good defender very good base runner Um, And, I mean, an absolute difference maker in Philadelphia. The biggest improvement that he made was fastballs. Uh, In 2022, he had a minus 14 run value against fastballs, against four seamers. He hit 178, slugged 281. Uh, Expected numbers were also very uninspiring. But in 2023, he hit 286, slugged 427. Uh, And, you know, that's the pitch you're seeing the most. So being able to make that kind of improvement is huge. Um, And if he can do that again... Uh, you know, he doesn't even really need to be a crazy good offensive player. You know, he just has to be maybe I'd like to see like 105 to 110 and uh, in weighted runs created plus. And then obviously defense and base running, if he just keeps doing what he's doing, I think seven's a very appropriate place for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about, yeah. Brayson Stott is really a, was really a whole package guy last year. And for that reason, you might get undervalued from the fans perspective, but I mean, yeah, top five among, all fielders and outs above average and 31 for 34 on stolen bases. Uh, like, uh, yeah, he, he was tremendous away from the plate and was above average at the plate. Um, my number six, so I think this confirms that we have the the same 10 because my number six is your number 10. I'm talking about Andres Jimenez, uh, who I think, uh, you know, there, there's some other candidates, but I think uh, he is the best fielder of this group. Um, He has the most defensive runs above average among second basemen the last two seasons, and he also has won back-to-back Gold Gloves, so the writers agree on it as well. Um, And then on the bases, he is also 50 for 59 on stolen bases the last two seasons and has a 47% extra base taking rate and 5.9 BSR over the last two years. Um, Obviously, where uh, everyone would be alarmed, and and understandably so, is that um, hitting... Where his OPS took a 125 point drop from 2022 to 2023. And even expected numbers wise, uh, that took a drop as well. His expected Woba dropped uh, 29 points. And a lot of that had to do with him hitting the ball a lot softer. Uh, his average exit velocity was like third percentile or maybe even worse. Uh, and that average exit velocity dropped three miles per hour um however with that being so dramatic and so uncharacteristic from the rest of his career I feel like that may level out and that may um increase that may if if he does level it out that will increase his uh hitting production and then you know if if that's added to his already amazing defensive prowess and solid base running uh that is a really good second baseman to have um so uh and also to consider with Andres Jimenez like with with how successful he was so early on, he's still a guy heading into his age 25 season. Like he is very, very young and uh, can easily figure some things out, uh, you know, to improve his game and, and get closer to that 2022 level. Uh, who do you have as your number six?
0: At number six, I have Ozzy Albis. You put him at seven. So we're pretty close on him. Yeah, I thought putting him at six was going to be a hot take. And then MLB Network completely left them off their list um so that was pretty shocking i have four and a half minutes to do this should be fine um ozzy albis has been one of the most consistent bats at the second base position for the last few years and last year was no different you know he's one of those guys like kind of like jorge polanco where i talked about earlier where you know even if you don't have the most power as long as you're as long as you have like a fair enough average exit velocity if you can hit enough fly balls and pull the ball enough, you'll find your way into enough home runs. And Albis did exactly that. He had a 33.8% fly ball rate last year. That's 10% above the league average. Uh, he pulled the ball at a 51.7% rate last year. Uh, the league average is 37%. And what did he do? He hit 33 home runs. Uh, you know, it, it, yes, his expected slugging is uh, about 50 points below his actual slugging. But that's kind of just what happens. You pull the ball enough. You, you know, hit the ball hard enough. Even if you're just like even a little bit below league average in average exit velocity, uh, you'll be fine, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, I did have to knock him down for his defense, though. He is uh, in the second percentile, and that's above average. He had minus six defensive runs above average last year, uh, and his base running has been still very good, but the fielding, uh, for me is what did it. But yeah, I mean, he has been one of the most consistent bats at the second base position, and uh, you know, I think he fits very nicely in that Braves lineup. He, you know, despite you know being a a five what is he five eight and 165 pounds i mean he's still putting up 30 home run seasons just because he uh he hits enough pulled fly balls to do it
1: yeah yeah for sure and and especially when he's uh hitting lefty you know he's a switch hitter as as most people know but uh as a lefty hitting it pole side like uh, i think it's 325 to the right field uh foul Mm -hmm. pole over at Truist park so um as someone who did a pitcher career mode as a, as a Braves player, that was very frustrating, but, um, in uh, MLB the show, but, uh, when you're a hitter, it, it, it benefits you tremendously. So having those pulled fly balls is great, especially when you're a left-handed hitter. And, um, for Ozzy Albies, he was tied for 11th, uh, in terms of most pulled fly balls last season. Um, so that, uh, so that adds to your point there. and for my, number five he makes a pretty good chant ha song kim ha song kim shout out to the 2022 playoffs but yeah he's my number five um shout out my 2023 padres player to watch which wasn't the most risky pick but i did want to give him a shout out because yeah he's a he's the top five second baseman in baseball as far as i have it this year um over the last two years and and this has been not only last year's production but the year before as well um for much of last year he was like an mvp candidate or at least for the for the nerds he was um dropped off a little bit towards the end but um still a very very good season and over the last two seasons he uh is averaging a 107 ops plus 54% extra base taken rate which is 12 percentage points above league average uh and 8.5 outs above average, 14 defensive runs saved, and 25 stolen bases per year. Uh, that's that's what he's averaging over the last two seasons. Uh, he benefited from the rule changes on a, from a base running front. He went from 12 to 38 stolen bases uh, last year, and he was sixth among second basemen in F4, or he's been sixth among second basemen in F4 over the last two seasons, and he was third last season. Uh, and there's some things to be very optimistic on with his offensive game over the last couple of years. Uh, He has increased his walk rate and sweet spot rate and decreased his pop-up rate in both 2022 and 2023. So he, he made those numbers better in 2022 and then made them better once again, uh, the next season. So that's very encouraging. And then when considering uh, his elite base running and defense uh, that puts him over the edge as a, as a top five guy for me, who do you have as your number five
0: i also have Hassan kim in my five i think there's a chance we might have the same top five yeah it's it's very possible um yeah i mean you you said it i mean he's he's among the best defenders in the league certainly the best at his position um i mean the fact that they had to kick fernando tatis jr to the outfield uh to make room for him in the middle infield kind of says i feel like everything you need to know about his defense right you know they they had to have him in the lineup or at least on the diamond uh, because he is a difference maker out there for the Padres. And yeah, you know, he was a league average bat last year. Uh, expected statistics suggest he's going to be a little less, but that's all right. Uh, because, you know, that's only expected statistics are very rarely, uh, you know, one to one with what actually happens uh, when, you know, when they are, it's, it's kind of a story that we point out. Uh, but I mean, all of, all of the little things he does very well, sweet spot rate was very high. Last year, five or line drive rate around league average. Um, all of his batted ball prof, ball profile was pretty close to league average last year. Um, but K to walk ratio is very good. Only a nineteen point eight percent strikeout rate, twelve percent walk rate. Um, yeah, I mean it was just a very tremendous year for him, and yeah, MVP candidate for for some of the season. Uh, which was a pretty fun development for for the few weeks that that lasted. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like everything that I, I was going to say, you already said, yeah, How song cam I have in my, in my five.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the tough thing about going second in these lists is sometimes, sometimes you're, you, you're bound to sort of repeat what the other said, or, mm-hmm. or be, re- have your dialogue re- reduced a little bit. My number four, um, is yeah, likely your number four as well. Um, talking about Nico Horner of the Chicago Cubs. Um, he's like when we talked about uh some of the guys before in this list that um, you know, some of these guys ahead of ahead of like Luisa Rise or or Catel Marte, they're gonna have worse hitting numbers, but they're gonna have way better base running and uh, uh defensive numbers. And Nico Horner is like the prime example of that. Uh he's been like an average hitter over the past two years, but he has been the best base runner of this group and one of the best defenders of the group. He has the most stolen bases and BSR among second basemen over the last two seasons and the second most defensive runs above average among current second basemen. Uh, and uh, over the last two years, he has the uh, fourth most F War. And he had the third most F four last year. Um, you know, forty three stolen bases last year was pretty tremendous. While only go- getting caught seven times, uh, the year before he was twenty for twenty two on stolen bases, and uh, and yeah, was um, or might have been a Gold Glover last year. Well, you know, being an being an average hitter, and an elite base runner. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty stellar, just overall player. Have to look at the whole package when you're talking about Nico Horner, and that whole package reveals he is a very good player. Uh, who's your number four?
0: You nailed it. Yep, I have Nico Horner in my four as well. Um, Again, he's very good at several different aspects of baseball. He's a tremendous defender at the position uh, and also a tremendous base runner. Yeah, I mean, the best base runner out of the group probably. But also, uh, outside of uh, Luis Araiz, maybe the best at contact. I mean, a 99th percentile whiff rate as a hitter at only 12.4%, a 96th percentile strikeout rate at 12.1 percent, and uh he actually has some of the smallest discrepancies between uh his actual numbers and his expected numbers from last year his uh, expected slugging was 355 which is not good by any means but he only slugged 383 um and his batting average was high enough and his walk rate was like okay enough to where he put up a 346 obp which i'm not complaining about uh you know that's gonna care that's probably definitely gonna carry his uh his OPS a little more than his slugging does, even if his slugging is, you know, technically a higher number. Um, but regardless, you know, I think he's very good uh with that. You know, going deeper into his strikeout stuff in particular, um, he had an eight percent strikeout rate against four seam fastballs last year, which ranked one, two, three, four, fifth best. Uh, minimum 150 plate appearances ending on four seam fastballs. That is a list of uh 132 hitters in which again nico horner ranked fifth uh so you know he's he's very good at contact and not to mention he also hit 307 against four seamers last year with a 470 uh slugging and his expected numbers and uh, were you know off that but still not that far off uh so that was something he did a very good job of last year a lot of the reason i put him in my four is because that because again the pitch you're seeing the most is four seamers in ninety nine percent of circumstances. So if you can hit those very well, you're gonna find your way into good numbers, and that's what Nico Horner's done.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, shout out, shout out, Nico Horner. Also, uh, he was my second baseman in the uh, MLB All Underrated Team. Um, and based on some of the rankings I've seen, I think the I think that holds holds some merit. So yeah, that definitely holds some merit because MLB Network had him number 10 on the list. Uh, and I think that I think that's uh, a little bit unfair towards Mr. Horner. Um, so now on to uh my number three, which you know will likely be another overlap and and uh very understandably so because of uh how kind of concrete things are over here in the top three. I'm talking about Marcus Simeon, uh, a uh, 2023 MVP finalist Marcus Simeon uh, and also the the health king you know just playing 160 games like it's nothing but uh, nonetheless Marcus Simeon is second among second basemen in F4 over the last two seasons uh, he led second baseman in F4 last last year and he had a 122 OPS plus 15 outs above average and 16 defensive runs saved last year. Um, you know, it's that, it's that elite defense, that guys like corner Stott Jimenez were providing, but much better hitting. Uh, so that's, that's what puts him over the edge. And uh, over the last two years, he has a 55% extra base taken rate, which is elite. Uh, and he is third among current projected second baseman in BSR over the last two years. So, yeah, like, uh, just, he's another whole package guy, but also has the hitting to go with it. Um, and yeah, like, uh, elite guy. And also, um, just as an aside, not even making my case for him. He had the most pulled fly balls last year at 77 next best was 59. He had 18 more pulled fly balls than the, uh, than, than the next highest, uh, hitter. So, uh, so yeah. Um, but all that being said, just an elite second baseman and one of the best players in the game, who do you have number three?
0: This is actually not an overlap, believe it or not. Uh, I put yeah. Jose Altuve in my three. Uh, I'm sure you have him in your two. Um, and uh, yeah, I there was a lot of things that kind of concerned me with him last year. I mean, you know, he obviously did play uh, coming off of an injury. He hurt his wrist playing in the World Baseball Classic after getting hit by a pitch, I believe it was, right? And, and um, he put together a season where he had um, his highest strikeout rate in a full season uh, since at least before the StatCast era. Um, He also put up his highest ground ball rate by 8% over last year. Uh, he went from 48, 41% to 49.3% ground ball rate last year. Uh, that's his highest ground ball rate in a full season since 2019. He had his lowest fly ball rate since 2017, which to be fair, pretty good year for him. Also, But also his lowest line drive rate in a full season, Again, since twenty nineteen, so uh, I do want to see a bit of a better batted ball profile out of him in the next, you know, next year. You know, he's going into uh, age thirty four now, and he's like one of the last hopes we have for a while to get to three thousand hits. He got to two thousand last season, um. So in terms of that, I feel like there are some improvements for him to get back to in terms of his batted ball profile. He's still doing very well with, uh, with striking out, with walking. Uh, with swing and missing you know still very elite uh in those respects however he did also chase quite a bit last year he had a 32% chase rate uh 4% up from 2022 um his highest in a full season at uh, since 2015 so uh you know there were some things where he may have regressed a bit um but you know certainly it's Jose Altuve so it's very possible he can get back there uh but yeah I did put him in my three for those reasons but obviously right I mean he is still not at number three for a reason he's put up back-to-back 900 OPS seasons even if it was only 410 plate appearances last year he's a guy that has always outperformed his expect his expected numbers um but you know there are actual batted ball differences here that I do worry about a bit going into the future
1: right 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 um and yeah he he greatly outperformed his expected numbers last year. I think, yeah, it was a 62-point difference in Woe and expected Woe, but usually he outperforms it by around 30, so there could be definitely some regression, uh, especially based on those underlying numbers you were talking about with the batted ball profile. Um, but why I have Jose Altuve at number two is uh, just that that pedigree he has, even through injuries, leads second baseman in F4 over the last two seasons, despite missing 72 games last year. So definitely on a game-per-game game basis, he, he's he been far and away the best second baseman over the last two years. Um, and, uh, you know, leads in F4, even, even considering um, the amount of games, you know, he and the rest of the competition have played. And among second basemen with 800-plus plate appearances over the last two years, Altuve has the highest OPS by 89 points. Um, and that is while having fairly neutral... Uh, defense and base running so not something that's going to hold him back in this conversation like Luis you know that that conversation would would hold him back uh with Luis Ariz like Luis Ariz had the second highest OPS um in that group but his defense and base running holds him back not the case with the Jose Altuve he has the elite offense well um not being a detriment defensively or on the bases uh so yeah i mean i think i think what has him so high for me is just he is like among the p- players who have played second base. He's been so much better than the rest of the competition at the plate. Um, So now on to your number two. Yeah. Your number two,
0: my number two, this is where I put Marcus Simeon. You had him in your three. So we did flip flop on a uh, Altuve and Simeon, and I feel like they are pretty interchangeable. Um, But nonetheless, I did put Simeon uh, at two a 35.4% ground ball rate and a forty-six point nine percent pull rate. Um, and like I've said repeatedly, you hit, you know, you pull the ball enough, you hit it in the air enough, you'll find your way into the count statistics. For Marcus Simeon, that was 25 29 home runs last year. Uh, at age 32. Um, you know, he had, you know, when he signed that contract with the Rangers, a lot of people questioned how you know if it was going to work out and how soon was his potential decline going to be. And he's really only gotten better in many respects. Um, in in terms of defense, he just put up his ni- uh, 99th percentile. Um, that's above average. He was as low as the first percentile in 2020. And he only had one good defensive season before 2021 when he played his Blue Jays season. Uh, so something changed with his defense when he left Oakland. But, I mean, he's been incredible defensively, no matter where you look, really um and you know he's also gotten better with striking out he just had his lowest strikeout rate in a season uh at least in the Statcast era at 14% um he had his highest walk rate in a full season since 2019 at 9.6% last year uh sweet spot rate his highest since 2017 a 37.5% sweet spot rate uh also base running is still very good as well well, despite being 32, he's still at 85th percentile spurt speed. Uh, he's making smart base running decisions, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, obviously he's not hitting the ball super hard. You know, his expected numbers are naturally going to be lower than his, uh, his actual numbers because of uh, his, you know, hitting style, you know, a lot of pulled fly balls. Uh, but other than that, there is really nothing that he hasn't excelled in and that he didn't excel in last year. And yeah, also being available... Right. He did this despite seven hundred and fifty-three plate appearances. Didn't really look worn down in the postseason either. Um, you know, still hit very well there. Um, and yeah, I have Marcus Simeon in my too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you mentioned that defensive improvement since 2021. He probably just has been built more as a second baseman than a shortstop. He probably he, has
0: been because he was playing shortstop in Oakland.
1: Yeah, he was he was a prim- primarily a shortstop um before he arrived in Toronto and then you know he he ran into, you know, Bo Bouchette. And then uh, when he goes to the Rangers, Corey Seager gets signed as well. So he's not going to be the shortstop. But um, it seems like it's been positive for Marcus Simeon's career to be a second baseman because at shortstop, he was kind of a whatever defender compared to the rest of the league, at least. And now he's an elite second base defender. So, um, yeah, you know, happy for him in that respect. My number one, and I'm sure your number one as well, is uh, a guy who... Um, Has not been a has not been a primary second baseman since the minors, but he is coming back and uh, he is going to be the primary second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it's one of the best players in all of baseball. That is Mookie Betts. Uh, Mookie Betts trails only Aaron Judge and Freddie Freeman in position player F4 among all players over the last two seasons. He was also second among all position players in F4 uh, last season uh over the last 2 years he has a 152 ops plus and last year he had a 163 ops plus uh from 2022 to 2023 he increased his average exit velocity 1.9 miles per hour and line drive rate 6.3 percentage points so despite him being in the league for um almost a or yeah a decade now he still found a way to make improvements which is very very encouraging um also with considering his amount of time in the league Still pretty young, still in his early 30s, uh, and doesn't seem to be getting any worse and seems to be getting better. Uh, and, and last year was just an exclamation point of a season. He was 94th percentile or higher in average exit velocity, sweet spot rate, chase rate, and all expected numbers. So uh, along with him uh, getting a 987 OPS, 163 OPS plus, uh, and 39 home runs, the process results were also still there. Like he was elite in the underlying numbers as well as the on-the-surface numbers, which, um, you know, the on-the-surface numbers got him to the, to be a, a MVP runner-up. But those process numbers are going to probably, you know, keep him around that level. So he is definitely the number one second baseman in all of baseball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how much there is for me to add. It's kind of a given, right? I mean, we all know how good Mookie Betts is. We all know that he's uh quite far above anyone else listed at the second base position uh and you know i mean the defense will definitely be interesting this year you know we had a actually a down year defensively in the outfield but you can't even really look at defensive numbers to devaluate his case here because he just hasn't played a lot of second base um at least recently but offensively he's everything uh literally everything the worst percentile on his batting is 82nd percentile barrel rate um which is a joke. I mean, it's it's absolutely insane. Um, He's another guy that uh, hits fastballs extremely well. Uh, a run value per 100 over two in four-seam fastballs over the last two years, respectively, that is insane. That's very hard to do. Also, a two-run value per 100 in sinkers and sliders. Uh, so there's really not a pitch that you can get by him. Uh, and, and, you know, he's elite against several different pitches. Um. And again, you know, high high pull rate, high fly ball rate, very low ground ball rate twenty seven point six percent. So he has a higher line drive rate than than ground ball rate, which is like out outrageous, like just completely insane. Um, yeah, I mean, Mookie Betts is number one.
1: Right. Yeah, and and to go to his fielding, he played, uh, he played seventy games at second and uh started at six started 62 games there played 485 innings there and it looks like he had uh six defensive runs saved there uh out above average was a little bit more hesitant on him but still like that means that he is not you know he didn't take much adjusting to the second base position when he did play second base last year and uh yeah heading into his age 31 season which is pretty remarkable and uh and yeah like just as an aside maybe you know, non-analytically speaking, like Mookie Betts is one of the rare players that makes the game of baseball look easy. It just seems, it just seems to all come naturally to him. You know, he's also, you know, not, uh, of overwhelming size, only five foot nine. He's listed at 180 pounds, but still manages to hit 39 home runs last year. Uh, speeds around the bases really well, plays really good defense. Uh, you know, when he, all you know his his swing is very short but still very strong uh and it, yeah it just it just seems to very to come very naturally to him so um yeah i miss him but uh but yeah. i love but you know it's it's great to it's still great to watch him and and have him succeed and you know we talked about uh we also talked about um the uh hall of famers playing right now or like who if they retired would get in like Mookie Betts is in that category for me right now. Like if he retired right now, he's a hall of famer. He's earned that. He's, he has 64 wins above replacement right now. Unbelievable. So yeah. Uh, shout out to Mookie Betts. Uh, yeah. Want to give out your, your 10 through one here.
0: Sure. Number 10. I had Andres Jimenez. Number nine, Luisa rise. Number eight, Ketel Marte. Number seven, Bryson Stott. Number six, Ozzy Albies. Number five, Ha-Sung Kim. Number four, Nico Horner. Number three, Jose Altuve. Number two, Marcus Semien. Number one, Mookie Betts. My honorable mentions, uh, Zach Jelloff and uh, Tyro Estrada.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Estrada was uh, interesting, especially with his defensive numbers the way they were. Um, yep. yeah, My number 10 was Bryson Stott. Number nine was Luis Ariz. Number eight, Catel Marte. Number seven was Ozzy Albies. Uh, six was Andres Jimenez. Number five, Hasan Kim. Number four, Nico Horner. Number three, Marcus Simeon. Number two, Jose Altuve, and number one, Mookie Betts. So, albeit different order, we had the same ten. Um, which, uh, yeah, very different from the relief pitchers because, yeah, this was this was sort of easier to get a, a, a grasp of uh, at second base. But, but yeah, anything more before we wrap this up?
0: No, I think that's uh, that's all we had. That was a very lengthy podcast today.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean when when the Orioles go out and get the best pitcher on the market, uh, that is some news to talk about for sure. And then uh, obviously uh, two positional rankings once again. And yeah, that does it for uh positional rankings. We will be, or yeah, we have decided in the middle of the show uh, off recording that we are going to be starting our top 50 players in baseball two weeks from now. Um, we'll do 50 through 41. We'll do 10 at a time. So um the week before we do our MLB predictions or MLB standings predictions, we will, uh, be doing our 10 through one of that. And then, uh, that will be, uh, and those rankings will be talked about after we do our divisional breakdowns where we pick a player from each team from a certain division, uh, to, to watch and also just kind of break down, um, or not necessarily break down, but talk briefly about what the team has done in the off season and, and, uh, and whatnot, and and just the state of the team. So, so yeah, exciting stuff ahead. Still some more off-season um housekeeping to do, and uh excited to do it. So, um, without further ado, we will wrap up the show. Uh, that does it for this installment of uh Above Replacement Radio. If you enjoyed the episode, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Check out all the playlists, the digital shorts, all that. Uh, we have playlists for um, all these positional breakdowns as well as Hall of Fame bubble cases. Um, if you felt like maybe somebody got snubbed in the, uh, in the Hall of Fame this past year and want to see, and want to gather up some in- information as to why uh, go check out the bubble cases. Cause we still have yeah, plenty if of guys. You, are...
0: If you're looking for reason to believe that Omar Vizcal should have gotten more than 20% of the vote this year, come to our page.
1: Yes, absolutely. We're, we're big stands. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, check all that out. There's still some guys in the ballot that uh that we that we broke down either three years ago or even this year. So um, go make sure to check all that out. Uh, also follow me on follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gian to follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Dan, Daniel underscore Current and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball. Once again, see you then.